This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy post-debate hangover, people. Today's the day, my friends. I'm telling you. Now you can relax and enjoy. Our democracy is Our safe. Our democracy is safe. <laughs> and if that wasn't clarified for you last night in the debate, hmm, then you're normal. I don't know. We'll be talking debate today with Joe Cannon will be joining us. Um, Joe in the know, we call him. Debate and, hey, the government could shut down on Friday. No, it won't happen. You don't know that. No, it won't. They can't. Republicans can't afford to let that happen. Because, you know, they, they've, got, they've got her on the ropes. Says. Says all of the Republicans. Okay, great. But interesting debate. We'll get into it. Holy cow. I mean, pretty much, I don't know if it moved the needle anywhere. It did in Mexico. Oh, good. Remember I was telling you the peso? Yeah. Depending on the performance of, or the current performance of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Mexican peso tumbled to a record low ahead of the U.S. presidential debate rallied as the event got underway and uh, surging as much as 1.1%. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It all Even, Mexico's future depends on Trump in so many different ways, yeah. apparently. Well, and a lot of talk about the TPP trade thing. Mm-hmm. He came out of the shoot. I thought he did really well for – I think he had a good half hour. Yeah. Then he took the bait on every other thing she ever mentioned. So in a weird way, I, I see two winners there. And then he, then he said that she brought that up again, and he said something like, that's a tired line. And she goes, it's still true, as he was doing it, you know? <laughs> it's tired, but totally true. He's also got, obviously, a, a sinusitis, some sinus problem. Something. Says who? <laughs> his nose. Says his ear, nose, and throat specialist. So we'll get it with uh, eventually with Joe Cannon, talk about the uh, the debates. Uh, we've got a lot of audio to play for you as well around the debates. Plus today, don't think it's just any old day. It's Crush a Can Day. I crush you. I pity you. And I crush you. I crush you. It's Crush a Can Day. Today's the day that you could save um, space in the recycling bin if you would just crush it. So this is where you show your kids that you can stand on a can. And then crush a can. Just a wonderful day. It's also Ancestor Appreciation Day. It's where you should go find out where your ancestors came from. Mine, Scottish. Got a lot of scotch in me. Aren't you related to the Drumpf family? Yeah, the Drumpf's from Germany, was it? Yeah, the famous Drumpf family, which Donald Trump uh, eventually uh, came from, but he realized that Drumpf just doesn't sound right. Put a T on it, put it on a helicopter, bada boom, bada bing. You're going to be president someday. All of that uh, ahead of us. But first, of course, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headline. Sadie, what's going on? Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton clashed early and often at their first presidential debate Monday night at Hofstra University. As the Republican nominee spent much of the 90-minute face-off casting his rival as a career politician unable to bring change, and the Democratic nominee worked to tag Trump as an empty suit spouting crazy things. Trump, toward the close of the debate, tried to undermine Clinton's persistent argument that he's temperamentally unfit for the nation's highest office. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win, Trump said. She countered, a man who can be provoked by a tweet should not have his hands anywhere near the nuclear codes. 
Green Party presidential nominee Jill Stein was escorted off Hofstra University campus Monday after her prearranged media interviews because she didn't have the credentials to be there. Stein's campaign told CNN that she was at the university doing press interviews and was escorted off after an interview with MSNBC. We were on our way to an interview with MSNBC when we were stopped by Hofstra security just now. Hashtag debate night, she tweeted later. The U.S. Labor Department announced Monday that it will conduct a top-to-bottom review of complaints alleging misconduct by Wells Fargo in recent years. According to Labor Secretary Thomas Perez, the investigation comes in response to Elizabeth Warren and other Democrats requested that the agency launch a review review of alleged labor law violations involving the bank tellers and sales representatives. And finally, in more debate news, the debate news you may not have heard about... Um, When the debate was just hours away, a Kansas police department asked people to stop misusing the 911 system. The official tweet read, We realize politics make emotions run high, but being mad at a presidential candidate is not a good reason to call 911. It's not clear yet how many residents chose to call 911 instead of tweeting or posting on Facebook, nor what those individuals hope the police might do for them. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows, but uh, they really felt it was necessary to call 911 during this. Holy cow. My wife's feeling nauseous. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Come on, people. Well, okay, Sadie, at least uh, least we know they're alive. Yeah, that's good. Calling 911. Hmm. Was it that bad? That you needed to call 911. The deal is, if you're a partisan, you think your people won. Right. If you're James Carville, you're sure that Hillary's been deified. Yeah. And Paul Begala, both vying for jobs in the Clinton White House. If you are uh, anyone on the Republican side, you pretty much think Lester Holt tried to steal it for you. Right. They're not necessarily saying forcefully that Trump won, just that the system was set up the topics were you know set against trump it wasn't really something it was in favor of him but a lot of the topics were led by hillary i mean hillary baited him and he took every bait yeah it was it was brilliant to see that she did so much planning and preparing that is the that's i think the biggest takeaway for me hillary is going to prepare and the crazy thing about preparation is it'll help her next time mm-hmm. and it'll help her next time. Donald didn't seem prepared. He had a good half hour, it seems like, of energy. <laughs> then he just started taking the bait. He had a couple of the uh, uh, primary debates that were kind of that way. Yeah. Where he seemed to have some energy and then he maybe got tired towards the end. This was harder than the primary debates, too, because he didn't have 16 other people that had to talk. Yeah, it's hard to kind of step back and take a break when you have to talk again. But man, he came out on the on the trade issue, on the TPP issue. But it doesn't seem like any of that's going to garner him. He needs kind of middle. He needs college student, you know, college students and women. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he won. No. Did he do anything outstanding there? He did, I think, secure more of his base around the TPP thing. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Oh, there's so much to talk about. And you know what? This is what's still getting a lot of the news out of the debate. It's Donald Trump sniffling. She's coughing. Yeah, we got it. Do they both have pneumonia? What's going on? I fear for his health. She was holding back on the uh, cough. She was doing everything she could. Some some critiqued her smile. She smiled a lot through the thing. Well, 
when you're on camera with the split screen, you can't have any moment that you don't look like you're enjoying the situation. Yeah. You know, you grimace, you sigh. Yeah. That was a lot of uh, what I heard some critique was that the, the split screen worked against Trump mm-hmm. because he had all these emotions that he yeah. was putting through his face and, and showing that way. And it was obvious to everyone watching. It's, um, But she can't sit there naturally either. She has no. to look like she's putting on some sort of front. And so what do you do? I don't I think mean, either one can win. I, I don't I don't get a feel that anybody won the debate. And if you notice, a lot of people. They're not – I think it's they're waiting for the people to speak a little bit more. 85 million or so listened. I don't think it got up to the 100 million mark. No. That's a big number. So they may have beat the other uh, debate. Well, yesterday before before the debate, I found this. It said tonight is a big night for the a swath of voters who still haven't decided whether they're Team Trump or Team Hillary. A uh, Reuters poll released Monday said that the first presidential debate between Trump and Clinton revealed that of the – 50% of likely voters who are using the presidential debate to guide their decision in November. 10% still don't even prefer one candidate over the other, but for all those voters who are hopeful the debates will bring some much-needed clarity, 39% of respondents were already resigned to the fact that the debates will not help them choose. Hmm. So, you know, yeah. positive. I, I don't think that's going to help. No. It's not. It, I don't think it's built to help. No. Well, and again, to me, it just seems more for the media mm-hmm. because the, the, whatever the percentage is that doesn't know yet, they didn't gain anything there. He kept referring to her website. Because when she talks about policy, she gives you a few details and then there's, there's, a, there's a white paper. There's a document you can go read with thousands of words on it that, tell, that details my plan. Mm. And he's like, well, yeah, go read her website. Like, who's going to do that? Right. But during the debate, his website crashed. So either yeah, so way you want to. You got, you, got, you got to have your website ready. If you're going to refer people to your website, you got to have your website ready. Let's just run through a few of the clips so you can get a, a pretty big feel for, uh, for what happened last night. Really, by the end of this evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> You know, just 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 join uh, join the debate by uh, saying more crazy things. No punchline, right? No. She kind of stumbled over the end, like she couldn't think of something funny to say. Well, and when you watch that segment, it's it uh, it seems scripted. Like mm-hmm. she's an actress that knows her lines, but isn't an actor. Like doesn't know how to deliver deliver the line. Yeah, she has the words, just can't figure and, out how to get. And them that's out there. the difference with Donald. He, I think, he really is. He's himself. Yep. That's why he didn't go prepare because he's just going to be himself. And he feels like he can say anything. So if you want a, a president that's prepared um, but lacks personality, I guess that might be Hillary, I guess. I mean, it seems like she's got an okay personality. But uh, if you want a guy with personality that doesn't seem prepared, you got that too. So, Do you want him winging diplomacy? <laughs> apparently. Just wing uh, it. Just wing it. What's the big deal? The big beatdown, though, came around NAFTA, around TPP, a lot of the trade issues. Donald, I know you live in your own reality, but that is not the facts. The facts are, I did say, I hoped it would be a good deal, but when it was negotiated, which I was not responsible for, I concluded it wasn't. I wrote about that. So is it President Obama's fault? Is it President Obama's fault? Even announced. Look, there are Secretary, is it President Obama's fault? There are because he's pushing it. There are different views about what's good for our country, our economy, and our leadership in the world. Mm. 
I mean, that's that's for those all those, you know, white bread Americans working in that lost their jobs because of trade issues. He like they like that aggressive take her on. Mm -hmm. Who's going to who's going to pay the price for this? So uh, I think right there he scores some points. Um, Then then she could throw out literally anything and he ends up taking the bait. Here's. Here's him responding to something she said about a housing crisis. People who rooted for the housing crisis. He said back in 2006, gee, I I hope it does collapse because then I can go in and buy some and make some money. Well, it did collapse. That's called business, by the way. Nine million people. Nine million people lost their jobs. Five million people lost their homes. And $13 trillion in family wealth was wiped out. But he called it good business. It's good business. To bet on... Well, but she was also in the Senate that had legislated a lot of the rules about the housing market. And right. that gets back to the whole Wall Street, who you're going to play with game. Mm-hmm. So who do you think that that moment pulls the women that they're both after? They're both after women and they're both after college educated uh, people or college edu- uh, the youth and millennials. Is that going to draw them in? I don't know. I mean, it's it's to back hear, and forth. He's a businessman. both sides of it. Right. Yeah. He's a business. But see, what Donald didn't do that I think because of his lack of preparation is he could have turned that right there. But yeah, I was in the business trying to make a dime, and you're the one creating legislation with Wall Street mm-hmm. who enabled this entire debacle to happen. And they're all in your pocket because they just contributed tens of millions of dollars to you, and he didn't do that. He could have turned it. It wouldn't have mattered because because then the next issue would have come up. Uh, Trump on his taxes. All he has to do is release his taxes. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes when she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted. As soon as she releases them, I will release. Cheers. I will release my tax returns. And that's against my lawyers. They say, don't do it. Almost every lawyer says, you don't release your returns until the audit's complete. When the audit's complete, I'll do it. But I would go against them if she releases her So it's negotiable? It's not negotiable. No, let her release the email. Why did she delete 33,000? How do you release deleted emails? Well, he would assume she has them. He's never said that. He just says release the delete. Like somehow she, I I guess she would if if he thinks she can release them. Yeah. Well, he's just saying I'm not releasing my taxes. Well, that's what he's saying. Yeah. (laughs) Just because that's never going to happen. She'll just say I can't find them. I don't know where they went. We'd see how much in debt he is to Russia and how Mm -hmm. much to the Bank of China he owes. And those would be some issues to come up. But again, he, he took the bait. He takes the bait. He takes the bait. So if you were looking for a president that would control himself mm. and not take oh. the bait, he, he's, he's probably not your guy. Um, Play, what, what, 16 about his temperament. Why is your judgment any different than Mrs. Clinton? Well, I have much better judgment than she does. There's no question about that. I also have a much better temperament than she has. You know? Crowd I have laughs. a much better. She Crowd, spent, don't laugh, you Let guys. me tell you. She spent... Hundreds of millions of dollars on an advertising. You know, they get Madison Avenue into a room. They put names. Oh, temperament. Let's go after. I think my strongest asset, maybe by far, is my temperament. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. She does not have to win. Secretary Clinton. Whoa. Okay. After all that, she responds with, woo. Woo. See, again, you can't. 
you you can't. It's the evidence is right there, right? Who you are speaks so loudly. I can't hear the words you're saying. You yeah. don't have great temperament. But here's 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 a rebuttal because this is where this is where uh, Hillary Clinton's struggling. You have so many different things you have to be able to do, and I don't believe that Hillary has the stamina. Let's let her respond. As soon as he travels to 112 countries and negotiates a peace deal, a ceasefire, a release of dissidents, an opening of new uh, opportunities in nations around the world, or even spends 11 hours testifying in front of uh, a congressional committee, he can talk to me about stamina. Boom. A prepared line. That's a very, but that's the benefit of preparation. Mm-hmm. Because she had a comeback on every now, issue. Now, th- that was on his comment about she doesn't have a presidential look. Yeah. What does that mean? He goes, <laughs> I meant, I said stamina. I, no, you well, no, said you, you said look. <laughs> again, again, these aren't the issues. So now we're talking stamina, yeah. temperament. I mean, I guess that's what we're going for. But that's just talk for he's out of control. He's a loose cannon. Someone's going to get hurt. Hmm. I don't know if either of them won the groups they were looking for. And now those groups will say, we just need a few more debates. I think what you need to do, let the two vice presidents, when they have their, they have theirs coming up soon. I think it's next week. That's the difference. Because they're both crazy. <laughs> they're both crazy. Let the vice presidential candidates go head to head. You'll see the right temperament. You'll see the right stamina. And you'll actually get to probably hear policy instead of talk and craziness hmm. well we'll take a break when we come back joe cannon will be joining joining us joe in the know we call him he is our uh, our guy on the inside knows the scoop and we'll get uh, his inside view of uh, what's going on with these debates who won it was there a winner stick with us we'll be right back Welcome back, friends. Bob Dylan, political world. Once we're hearing that music, that means that uh, Joe is in the building, or in this case, Joe is on the line. Joe Cannon joins us. He is uh, the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization um, lowering your fuel costs here in the United States, and uh, also was a past uh, Republican chair or party chairman uh, at the state of Utah, also a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA, under the Reagan administration, also was editor of Deseret News, and uh, we we asked him to join us to pick his brain politically. He is Joe in the know. Joe, welcome to the show again, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Did you have a good night last night with your popcorn and your pizza watching the <laughs> the debates? Uh, I guess I wouldn't say it that way, but I did watch the debate. What, what's I, your take? Uh, what was your just overall gut reaction to the whole thing, first and foremost? Well, overall, uh, I think she definitively won. Do you? I think she showed up prepared, yeah. articulate, and uh, much more in attack mode than I, I would have guessed or expected. She did not show up prepared. Uh, I uh, and he just, I thought he floundered on a bunch of questions. I think that he, um, it was clear to me. Well, first of all, for, for chunks of it, I turned the sound off hmm. and just watched them. 
And I just thought from that, you know, before I formed any opinion, actually, I just I thought, wow, she, you know, she's she's looking pretty good, looking pretty strong, looking uh, effective, and he he looked uh, perplexed slash flustered, you know, uh, slash skeptical. I mean, his body language, right. I think, was very very good. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I I also thought. That, Surprisingly, you'd think that anyone could have predicted this, but you know she actually was successful in getting under his skin. Oh, that totally and worked. I, yeah, I, I think I think it just threw him. Well, he I don't think he was prepared to start with, but I think it threw him off his game uh, pretty early on. I mean, I mean it started out okay for a few minutes, and then it just kind of I think started going in her direction pretty strongly. So I don't know. That's that mm-hmm. was my. Yeah, I, I had an interesting experience because I I was at a, a grand opening of my a store of my daughter's and I so I had to, I was listening to it. I couldn't see uh, what was going on. I, I was hearing it. And at first I thought, man, he's he had a really, I thought, stronger first 30 minutes. But then he, it seems like he just came up a, a, a parch where every time she baited him, he had to respond. He had to interrupt. It was yeah, I think the visual was because I wasn't able to see it visually. I think it it actually it sounded a little different for me, but I do yeah, believe my, my she handled it. My my wife was driving our daughter uh, someplace, and so she was listening to it. And uh, I talked to her right after before she heard any commentary, and you know she thought it, it was a little more even mm-hmm. on just listening to it, uh, and she is no fan of either one of them. So it's not like <laughs> she went into it some oh, know, that's good. bias. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the watching it, which is, of course, what 90, 90 plus percent of people did, uh, didn't didn't look so good for Donald, although we'll probably come to polls in a minute. But um, but you asked my initial take. That was, that yeah. was my he, he wide, held, I mean class educated male perspective. Right, right. But in, in a weird way... Um, they were both going, I think, for the same kind of people, weren't they? It seems like they were both needing to show women that they were strong and that they were the choice and needed to show college students or college graduates um, that they're a good, safe choice. D- who do you think uh, did the most for those two demographics? Well, let me just say, I think what you said is true for everybody who is thinking about what they should do. I didn't see any particular evidence that they were at least, um, you know, zooming in on that particular demographic. Right. I mean, a lot of the things that uh, that Hillary said were, you know, uh, aimed at reinforcing that with her with her constituency, her base. Uh, I didn't see any coherence in Donald's what what Donald Trump was doing, and in, in terms of trying to reach out to that. No. That middle ground. I mean, he he didn't he. I, I, again, I think she needled him so much. He spent time on irrelevancies. Who could imagine having the words Rosie O'Donnell? Oh, I know. Here in a national presidential debate, who could imagine that? Right, right. I mean, he just went. He went there uh, when I don't think he he needed to. He he played on her ground, not. You know, you know, it was just so. I don't know that he. I'm sure that Kellyanne Conway advised him on 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 uh, what what uh, demographic groups she had to be appearing to. So, 
I, I don't know. It I didn't go say, that way. Right. He's, he shored up. I mean, where I think he he just shored up his base, which is that same. You've been talking about that same base forever. Um, it's that that whatever, 40 percent that he's already kind of got a hold of. It just seems like he tightened down that group. Yeah, but I, I think you're you're giving I mean, I'm sorry to mean to be too negative. Yeah, you're giving a little too much credit. I think he just reverted to form. He he His went style, to yeah. position, which happens to be that I don't think that was calculated. I think it just happened that way that he 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 flipped into his default position of, of the primary debates and what got him where he is. Having said all that, I think a lot of the commentators. I'm not saying anything new here, but it was widely believed, and and I watched David Axelrod quite a bit on CNN. Mm-hmm. After uh, you know, Romney waxed Obama in the first debate in 2012, and everybody admitted that, and everybody saw that. And uh, Axelrod was really funny. He said, yeah, my job was to go on after that debate <laughs> and explain to people that they didn't see what they saw. That's not what they saw. <laughs> well, it's like Donald right there trying to tell us that he's he's got, you know, great temperament. You can't <laughs> no. you can't sell that. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it is what it is. I hate that. I hate that phrase. But uh, but anyway, just just keeping in mind that that Romney was very triumphant after the first debate. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought, "Wow, it's, it's all over." And then there were two more debates, and you could debate why they came out the way they did, press bias, questioner bias, whatever. But at the end of the day. Romney lost the second two debates. And um, anyway, it just goes to the whole question, do the debates even matter? Right. uh, And I think everyone thought this debate would matter a lot, that there was going to be a knockout punch on one side or the other. I think there was fervent hopes on each side that that would be the case. And I think that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that she threw a knockout punch. I think she dominated one the debate, but I don't think it was a knockout punch by any any stretch. And you got a couple of debates to go. There's this. Um, have you ever heard of the concept called holy envy, which is where uh, churches can actually envy other churches for what other churches do well? It, <laughs> no. it seems like we we should have this thing where there's political envy. I would love um, if I were. Uh, Trump's people, I would love him to sit down and spend as much time as Hillary Clinton did preparing because he had so many chances to turn it back, but he had no he had no, you know, kind of smart comebacks on any of his points. And with Hillary, you could see she had smart comebacks. She even though they felt scripted, she came back and could counterpunch. And he just was a brute. He was rehearsed. I mean, she was very rehearsed. Right. Not particularly spontaneous. But she was ready. She gave him numerous oh, openings. Yeah. And, and instead, he reverted to his kind of defensive, small posture. I, I don't know. It was, you'd think that the least that could have happened would be, okay, here are 10 things we know she's going to say. Here are 10 things you better say when she says, X, you say Y. Mm-hmm. Now, that, maybe that happened, but if it did happen, it was not apparent. It was not right. Obvious. It was obvious for her, but not. It was obvious for him the other way. 
Having said all that, I, I, you know, there was a, there was a whole bunch of these insta, insta polls afterwards. Yeah. There was only one real poll that I was able to find. There was a genuine actual survey, reach out survey that was CNN. And even CNN said this was, it was a heavily biased sample. So they, in their description of it, they said that it had a disproportionate number of Democrats. But even there, she won 62 to 27. Wow. Oh, wow. But but in all the rest of the polls, which, you know, there are like a dozen of these where you call in. Yeah. Drudge and Time and CBS and a bunch of local newspapers and local radio stations. He won virtually all of those. Now, those are self-selected. Yeah, They're not super biased. Polls. Yeah. But it's very interesting. I mean, and Drudge had over... 600,000 people called in, <laughs> and he he won, quote, 82 yeah, to 19. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but some of the more interesting ones, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, which is, you know, its readers are probably, it's, it's more of a left-leaning newspaper, uh, she won 64 to 30. Hmm. But in most of the rest, in most of the rest, including a local poll in Cincinnati, Ohio, a local Fox poll, um, but two that I wanted to sort of draw attention to, two or three, Slate, which yeah. is clearly a left wing, had their own poll. He won the Slate poll, fifty-four forty-six. Oh, uh, I thought that was a, a Variety, which is not particularly political, but if it is, it sort of tends to lean left. He still won fifty-one forty-nine of the Variety readers. So. Which, which, this is where people are getting their ideas, their numbers. I mean, yeah. a lot of people aren't getting their media, their press coverage from CNN. They might get it from Slate. They might right, get it from right. Variety. Right. So it was very interesting in all Fortune and CNBC that their polls are 5149 for Trump. So it, it was very amazing that mm. all of these polls, it's true, they're all partisan. Uh, it, it, at best, it shows uh, an enthusiasm. Uh, uh, but it was, I was stunned when I saw. I wasn't stunned when I saw Drudge and everybody who right. was excited about everybody. But you know, he's Drudge is clearly in the Trump camp. Sure. And these others, though, it's to, to see um, to see the others. You know, basically calling it Trump way. Wow, interesting. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I want to find out what Joe thinks about Lester Holt. How did he handle his role? And uh, microphones and sniffling, does, does any of that matter? And Hillary's smile, did she smile too much? We'll get into it. Stick with us. More on the debates. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Let's head back on the phones with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Joe in the know, we call him. Uh, Joe, so <laughs> I love that your wife, because she's, she's, she's been with you. She knows politics. She's been with you in your career. And it's so fun that she has such a strong opinion. Um, and then well, uh, takes, I mean, that's cool. That's pretty, pretty emblematic of Utah, by the way. I mean, you, in the Utah poll... Neither of them gets even forty percent. Yeah, I mean, Trump is beating Hillary uh, Clinton in, you know, in Utah, but it's like, you know, thirty-seven to twenty-eight or so. I don't remember the exact numbers, but but neither of them is impressing voters in Utah. Yeah, 
Yeah. It was um, the I was reading about Frank Luntz, who's he's kind of isn't he like a, a Republican pollster? Uh, pretty much. I mean, he's he's on the Republican side of things. And that's but he, he said the, his focus a longtime friend of mine is he. So so, you know, I mean, his focus group said that uh, Hillary Clinton 16 to five won the presidential debate. Yeah, yeah. Almost all the focus, all the focus groups that I saw, but one. There was one in Pennsylvania in a bar or something like that that showed Trump one. But all the little focus groups that were, you know, supposedly independent voters, and I, I, I particular trusted Frank, getting genuine people. Like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you know, yeah, she won in the focus groups. What do you think about Lester Holt? How did he do as the moderator? You know, honestly, I thought he did. Pretty well. I, I would. I. I. You know. I, everyone was worried about bias, and I, I think he was kind of harsher on Trump, a little harsher on Trump. But okay, okay this may be reflecting my bias, but he almost invites it. Oh yeah. Trump almost invites it. So I. I don't know that you know anybody, but the most hardened Trump supporter wouldn't have gone at least a lot of the places that. Uh, Holt, Lester Holt went. Mm-hmm. Is what do you think about the uh, split screen? That that was interesting because it made it so yeah. you were on. You were they were on for ninety minutes. You couldn't you couldn't make those goofy faces. You can't roll your eyes. You can't sigh. All of which Trump did to one degree or, right, or sniffed. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I liked that. I I kind of I I think that. Because the body language of both of them, in each answer, no matter who's answering, I think it's kind of important to to see. So I so I, I like that. No breaks, you know. Uh, basically, you saw them almost all the time, except for the few minutes when uh, Lester Holt was asking questions. Do you think Donald? One thing he's being critiqued on is his constant interruptions. Fifty-eight times Donald Trump sniffled or interrupted during the debate. Does that make him seem like a brute? And was there were there any gender issues that that made him seem, you know, like a bully? I you know it's funny. I think he was really worried about that, but not worried enough to not interrupt. Right. And I think it. I think it. To me, again, you know, white male person. I can't put myself in in someone else's skin, but I didn't think it was sexist. I just thought it was rude. Mm. And and I think uh, that's kind of my instinct from listening to the commentators. And a few of them mentioned that, well, maybe it was sexist, but I think most of them thought, well, that's just Donald being Donald. Right, right. And, uh, and it was just, you know, I don't think it enhanced his stature at all. But all he needed to do was stand there and actually look polite and thoughtful and responsive, and I think he could have had a big night. Instead, mm-hmm. yeah. he had a kind of a not not a very good night. Well, and imagine if he had really been able to throw out more data, more information. He could have, yeah, he really could have looked just presidential. Yeah, I, I will say a number of commentators, even ones who don't like Trump, are saying that he didn't lose just mm. simply by showing up, by being there on the stage as a Republican. Well, forget about party percentage. As a presidential candidate, that at least he was he was there, and that enhanced him. I don't know if that's true. I, I think he showed himself to be the Donald that we 
all know and love or hate, you know. Is it is it easier, do you think, did, did Hillary Clinton have an easier job because she could come off strong and her coming off strong just makes it look like she took control of the situation um, and then she can laugh off his craziness. She can, you know, she can play with that. Who had the easier role? Well, I think going into it, everyone thought that the bar was a lot higher for Hillary Clinton than right. Donald Trump. And so I think she exceeded expectations, and he kind of met expectations. In other words, he, he, uh, he clearly didn't take advantage of what people, in quotes, had the, the low bar for him. And she took kind of the high bar and did pretty well. I thought she did pretty well you know, on, on it. Hmm. Do you um, any other moments in the debate that surprised you, that shocked you, or stood out? Well, I think I mentioned you know uh, his defense on saying mean things about women. Yeah, and just going into it and oh. kind of like let's pick at this sore a little bit. Let's right. make sure uh, maybe people <laughs> aren't confused. So let me make sure you're not confused. I really did say mean things about women. I, I don't know. It's like, why? Why are we going there? Why? Yeah. He, he could have just said, oh, you know, I was Joe. He could have said a lot of things and then bloated off and gone on. Mm. And that would have been it. But it went on because of him, not because of her. What do you think about his comment on tax returns? I will turn over my taxes, even though my lawyers don't like that. And all the lawyers in the world say you shouldn't, but I'll do it if she'll turn over the 33,000 pages. Well, the he's trying to be clever he, he, on the tax thing, and I think it's I think he should release his taxes. Everybody releases their taxes. Uh, I think it's a, a fake excuse that his lawyers won't let him. I, I don't know, but what I do know is it went on far too long. Right? He could have just said, "My lawyer said no," and that, and I'm sticking with that. Instead, he goes into, I'm smart, I, mm-hmm. this is over the whole course of the thing, uh, I, I have to make money for my family, for me, my shareholders, and, and I'm just a smart guy. I mean, that wove itself in in a, <laughs> in a few of the answers, but he should have just said, my lawyer said no, that's that. Right, done. And, and, and let's go to the next question. I mean, you know Lester Holt would want to move on. <laughs> Next? Okay, let's keep moving. Or let's at least give you another question. What, I mean, another thing that seemed to slip through is Hillary got away basically calling him a racist and the fact that he engaged in racist behavior. Yeah, you know, and I think that there is, again, he's given a better answer than the one he gave on that a number of times. And, and uh, you know, he could have just, again, that's another question. He could have just blown, up, blown off and said, I'm I'm not a racist. I have a long history of working with folks. Some of the things he he did say, but he he let it stick more than it needed to. Mm-hmm. Do you think? I mean, it seemed like some of the his his goal was to tie her to Obama, and you know the and a third term of Obama is that is that a good strategy right now? Well, yeah, the one talking point that he did stick to was you've been in this game a long time. You're not the change person. I'm the change person. I think he actually did pretty well on that score Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, it it was the one sort of talking point that he clearly reverted to a lot. 
was the notion of a third term. You've been in this game a long time. What makes you think you can change now? Why are you? He he wove that into quite a few of the answers, and I thought that was the the one effective talking point that he did have. It's just that it was obscured by lots of other, you know, <laughs> which you know, kind of negative ads. Not negative, but. You know, well, yeah, she made him fat, but, fat posture, and that, but that was, I mean, that was Hillary, right? Just trying to poke the tiger, right? And she did. She did. The tiger bit. Um, in I guess in the end, why? Uh, it seems like, uh, I mean, a really good angle to this is: Do you feel like it's the best interest of the democracy to have two families hold the presidency over the last however many years? I mean, why are they not pushing on the fact that you, do you deserve this just because you're a, you know, you're a Clinton? It seems like he could play up more on the fact that you're not changed. I mean, I guess that's what he tries to do, but you might. Well, I think he was trying to do that, but not so much in the context of family. Yeah. And I, I, you know, Bill Clinton was a fairly popular president. You notice she said that herself. Yeah. Right. He said, you know, uh, yeah, I've been in this game a long time. And guess what? For eight of those years, most people thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so she, in, a, in a way, she turned that to her advantage. See, that's uh, the studying, don't you think? Because every yeah. single issue, you, she was working on the debate that morning. They were yeah. doing run-throughs that morning and practicing spins. So, I mean... She clearly had the lines. I mean, when he said, you're... You don't. You're not experienced. You don't have the stamina. I thought she came back mm. very strong on on those on those two points. And um, yeah, he he uh, he he thought. I believe. Who knows? But I believe he believes that his statements are all self-evident, <laughs> and she believes that maybe that her statements are self-evident. But being a lawyer herself, and I think fairly well trained in this gave at least a reason for everything that she said. And whether that was true or not, I mean, there were some things, you know, there were fact-checker things, but in general, she showed up in debate prep mode. Right. And uh, like you say, she had an answer for almost everything, and, and sometimes a pretty pretty good answer. Yeah. One of the one of the areas where there were there was cheer, there was applause, and that created uh, Lester Holt had to say something was about the emails. Uh, a little off topic of the debate, but recently there's been news coming out that Cheryl Mills, uh, her you know I guess secretary, um, uh, received immunity in that FBI probe. We right. also found out that Obama had a pseudonym, and he was actually emailing Hillary Clinton, uh, Secretary Clinton, on that email server. I mean, more and more is coming out about how the FBI handled that. Is that going to go anywhere? Well, it could have gone someplace last night. I mean, I know. had plenty of opportunities to, to say that. You know, I mean, in a debate, candidates are ready to say what they want to say, no matter what the question is. But in that particular case, there were openings for him to have gone all the way there. And he just didn't. Didn't go. I mean, I think, again, I think he felt it was self-evident to say that was no mistake. You didn't make a mistake. Don't just say this is a mistake. It was way worse than a mistake. Right. But that's, then, then he kind of left it. It was like no, 
no follow through. He should have like three to five statements, like among the ones you just said, that that he could easily have thrown out and maybe flustered her. Especially if you just receive feedback, right? He just received feedback that that worked. So keep going on it. Keep going back to that well. Well, he definitely did not get under her skin, and she got under his skin. And I think that, A, threw him off his game, and B, caused him to revert to his default position. Yeah. So I don't think he planned that. I I don't know, but I don't think he planned that. No, no. It's like he didn't plan much. Yeah, it's not, you know, I, I, I love Jack Kemp, just to go back to another debate, the vice presidential debate uh, that he had with Al Gore. And um, let's see, was it Gore? No, it was, uh, gosh. Yeah, who would it have been? He would have been vice president. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, he just got slaughtered. And, you know, it was Gore. It was Gore. And uh, because it was Clinton Gore, uh, Kemp was debating Gore, Vice President Gore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know I don't want to sound like a shameless name dropper, but I was pretty close to Jack Kemp. I was mm. actually in his suite the night he was nominated for Vice oh, President wow. in, in San Diego. And, you know, I love the guy, huge hero of mine. He did not prepare for that debate because he knew he was smarter than Al Gore. Al Gore, who in fact was not only not smarter, but not flashier, not anything more than Jack Kemp. But he prepared like crazy, and he looked really good, and Jack Kemp looked really bad. It didn't make any difference in the campaign. But I think that's sort of what happened last night, is I think Trump thought, well, look, I'm self-evidently the best candidate. She is self-evidently the not best candidate. She is the old, I'm the new. Mm-hmm. And he had all these things in his mind at a very superficial level. And I simply think, I think he simply did not prepare. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. And boy, it shows, I think. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Um, anything else we need to worry about? Uh, you might think a little bit this week about what the government is going to be shut down or not. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it is. I think it would be uh, you know, political disaster for Republicans, especially with the Senate, you know, in in uh, play. And so I don't think there'll be a shutdown, but wow, there's a lot of posturing going on right now. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Well, great, uh, great insight, Joe. Thanks so much. And uh, thank your wife as well for making the show. Joe Cannon's his name. You can go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. Find out more about his mission and his organization's mission to lower your fuel costs here in North America. Stick with us. We'll be right back to wrap it up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Well, boys and girls, I think we've learned a very important lesson today. That we need to think before we speak. Those are the immortal words of my school principal after I was in the spelling bee and misspelled the word lion, spelled loin, L-O-I-N. And that's when I officially became loin boy uh, to my entire school 
from eighth grade down. But luckily, my principal had the opportunity to take advantage of my mistake and teach everybody that you really need to think before you speak, kids. And maybe one of the things Donald could take away from the debate is you need to prepare. Okay? This is the presidency of the United States, and it, it is something that, you, that demands some information. And it demands some self-control. We know you can do it because you've been able to do it, you know, on occasion. Um, but as, as you go forward, Hillary, Hillary, I think, succeeded in, in running you and uh, getting you to chase the bait. And so if, we, if, you, if you want advice, which I'm not sure you do, but uh, prepare. It wouldn't hurt you to know more about the issues. It wouldn't hurt you to read. Maybe don't just trust the news talking heads to be the way to learn about this. Actually, open up a briefing book. I'm sure they've got some of them for you. Uh, and be briefed and learn and figure out how to turn um, a negative not just into a counter punch, but into a, another argument. Um, just because you you can, you know, you're good with, I guess, the quick retort doesn't mean it's the retort that is going to get you leverage. So. I don't know. I'm not uh, – again, I'm disillusioned about where we go with this. I am actually very excited to see the vice presidential candidates debate because I think if you want to learn something, that might be a really good place to learn the differences. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to get into weird discussions about who's too tired and who's you know out of control. Politics 101, folks, helping you through it. Hopefully, give us a – We'll do what we can. Just give us more of your mind and your eyes and your ears. We'll take a break. Come back. Whole new hour next hour. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to hour number two of The Matt Townsend Show. Hope you're uh, having a great day. You know, it's Tuesday. But the neat thing about the Tuesday, today's, you don't have to... Go through another debate for a while. Till next week. Right. So it's like when you go get your shots as a kid. All right. Get once, them over. Once you get them over with, you're done. It's several years till you need till more. Till the next shot. Right. My wife's telling me I need my shots. Yeah. I read something that said hold off on getting your flu shot. Why? Does it give you the flu? Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know. There's something, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Is it bad? I, just, I read the headline and I'm like, and I saved it. So it's in one of our guest <laughs> files. Go read it. It's, uh, Is it bad if you just don't get a flu shot? Well, I have found personally, I'm healthier when I don't get a flu shot. When I get a flu shot, I get the flu and mm. then I get it three more times. I don't know why. I'm not that kind of doctor. Do you get the Scooby-Doo Band-Aid? Love it. By the way, watched a video of a doctor giving – did you – it was all over the internet recently about a doctor giving shots, the immunizations to a kid and he did it in such a way. He so overstimulated the child oh. by poking him to the left and stabbing him to the right and rubbing his head and making noise and throwing tissues all over him. The kid didn't scream once. Hmm. And then at the end, he was just giggling and – but the doctor was in a sweat. 
He had worked up a sweat trying okay. to get the kid not See, to. my kid just freaks out. He knows – you walk oh. – you're getting out of the car. Am I getting a shot? No, this is the dentist. Oh. My, okay. My, we had a nurse that was like German and Whoa. scary. You will sit down. Sit down. And she was like – so my kids were more afraid of her. Mm. I'm like, just take the shot. Just do it. Don't let the German lady get you. Don't resist. It's not worth it. It reminds me of that the the kid catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Do you remember that? No. Did I, you ever see that? I only made it about halfway through that movie. That child, that movie ruined more children's <laughs> dreams and lives. You can't have a guy that has a cage that goes to catch kids. And you can't name your car Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Even if that's the sound it makes. By the way, happy Crush a Can Day. Crushed. Did you ever recycle growing up and take the cans in for some money? I didn't. I have a brother-in-law that's a recycler. And before you can even finish that last sip, he's pulling it out of your hand and stepping on it to crush that can. But you need every family needs one. It's also Ancestor Appreciation Day. A little uh, what? music for family, family guy. guy. Well, I know it's family guy. Just why you... Just appreciate your family today. Really? Yeah. I had a grandma come across the plains, pulling a handcart. Grandma Isabella Park. To this soundtrack? Uh This really jazzes up genealogy. You can totally see her (laughs) tromping through the dust of the high plains. Genealogy is usually a quiet activity with the occasional, ooh. Genealogists, I think, get a bad rap for being a bunch of boring people. These guys no. can party. I have, no. <laughs> I as a speaker, I've spoken to the Genealogy Association. Mm. I've also spoken to the the Association for um, Funeral Workers and Morticians. And of the two groups, by far, genealogists party harder. <laughs> Those people know how to let their hair down. Okay, I'll have to take your word on that. You know what I've heard about those morticians and their parties? What? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. They're the embalmers. There you go. Right. Yep. So, hey, the news. (laughs) Uh, The news, a lot of news going on um, today. Uh, Hillary and Donald are... Just probably so right now, you can just imagine Hillary. Donald's been on TV already talking about Has the beauty he? queen. She had a real weight problem, so he's justified in calling her Miss Piggy. Okay. That's what he said. Donald, uh, I don't think he had a great showing, but if you look at anything that is on the conservative side, he dominated. Liar! 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 Like a clip from Hillary Clinton last night. There's one of the polls that show that Trump won, right? Comes yeah. from the Drudge Report. Right. It's an online poll. You go there and click. Who goes to Drudge? Conservatives. Okay, so who's going to win? Of course. Probably not the best source. <laughs> it's all it's but, all a conspiracy. But then it, as as uh, Joe pointed out last hour, Slate is a liberal. Right. Right. And, and it shows that Trump won, but it's Trump closer. Won. So I, I think don't know it's because Trump's an entertainer, and this is, I think, personality and style over. In the bastion content. of political news, variety. Right. 
<laughs> they had a poll. So and hey. if you want to know what the Kardashians thought, go to Variety. Yeah, they're right there. Uh, so we'll get to uh, – we'll, we'll, we've got a lot of headlines we're going to cover. Those – in fact, if you want to get to our debate coverage, you got to go back an hour. We will we'll touch on it a bit, but we also have – uh, the tomato throwing festival that's in Spain, they call it the Tomatina Festival. It's it's kicking in. People are throwing tomatoes, and we, we're gonna, we've got to really um, just we, we got to cover it because it, to me it's a safety issue. If you've ever been hit by a tomato, especially if you have you ever been hit by a fried green green tomato, it hurts. No. It hurts bad. All that oil, that hot oil. Uh, we'll talk about some rules for tomato throwing if you are if you're planning your own tomato throwing festival. Um, we'll get into that. Plus, later in the show, we'll be speaking with an expert on how to actually pay for college tuition, how to start your savings for from pre-K to senior in high school, so that your children can go to high to can go to college. Which uh, I think you know. It's a good goal for everyone. We'll get to that. But first, the headlines, of course, with Sadie Nielsen. Let's find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie? Data released Monday by the FBI revealed that murders in the United States rose dramatically between 2014 and 2015. After decades trending downward, the murder rate rose 10.8 percent between 2014 and 2015, the biggest single-year percentage jump since 1971, The Guardian notes. The weekend's intense rain in the Midwest may be finally subsiding, but in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, floodwaters are continuing to rise. As of Monday morning, the Cedar River crested at 16 feet, which constitutes a major flood event, time reported. This morning, the river is expected to crest at 23 feet, which NBC News noted would put the water uh, 11 feet above the flood stage. The waters are rushing down to Cedar Rapids from Wisconsin, where two people died last week because of flooding. The gunman who shot and wounded nine people Monday morning in Houston was wearing Nazi paraphernalia. Officers responded to the scene just around 6 a.m. where the shooter opened fire on police wearing what appeared to be an, an antique German uniform with swastikas on it. The gunman was found dead shortly after police returned fire and several weapons have been found inside his vehicle, according to local police. Investigators who inspected the shooter's apartment reportedly found additional Nazi paraphernalia inside. And finally... Yes, Drivers dealing with heavy winds in Scotland found themselves stunned by an additional morning commute obstacle. What? A giant inflatable duck rolling down the road from its car store, standing about 10 feet tall. It really caused a bit of chaos. Um, One person tweeted at the store, your giant inflatable duck has just hit my car in the middle of the road in Glasgow. Um, And then the company tweeted back to her, hi, Andrea, I'm sorry to hear that our duck hit your car. Please can you DM me your details and we will call you back and assist you with any damage. (laughs) What a great company. Our duck got out of control. Yeah, it was really funny, actually, watching it just kind of roll down the street. Just a, just a giant inflatable duck just blowing down the streets. It's a giant rubber ducky. Death duck. He's after you. This is, uh, Sadie, this is news that, I mean, imagine you're just going to work. You're having a great day. You got your latte or whatever, your orange juice. Oh, yeah. Out of pumpkin nowhere. Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin a, spice. Your pumpkin spice goo yum yum and all of a sudden some duck just starts pounding on your car <laughs> i'd be terrified i'm not yeah, gonna lie you're not gonna lie you know what you do what you get out a knife and you, you just deflate it. that thing just kill it i mean because it. it's not a real duck you know Sadie. right just deflate it deflate it it's out problem solved problem solved sadie a little help from us at the matt townsend show helping you get home safely 
Sadie always brings fun news. Would you rather be attacked by a duck, an inflatable duck on the way to work, or have somebody throw a tomato at your face? Tomato all the way. You like the vegetables or it's a fruit. I've always wanted to get in some kind of a culinary fight. Really? Yeah. Have Pie you ever, fight, cake fight. You've never been in a culinary fight. Have you, have you no. ever been hit by an egg? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've been hit on the head with an egg. Yeah. That wasn't enough for you. No. I mean, just take your favorite food and why wouldn't you want somebody to throw it in the general direction of your mouth? <laughs> well, because it's also your mouth is in the general direction of your eyeball. So it's all fun and games till somebody throws a grape and hits your eyeball. Well, I've always known what cake tastes like. Mm. But if I got hit in the eye, then I could see what it tasted like. Yeah. Does that make sense? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you've ever been to uh, Tomatina, the Tomatina Festival, La Tomatina Festival, which takes place in a Spanish city of Valencia, they get a group of people together and then they throw about 150,000 kilos of tomatoes at each other. Revelers will throw them at each other on a narrow street town, massive food fight for at least an hour with around 20,000 people expected to attend this year. And you are going too, right, man? I'm going. Well, I was going until I threw my arm out, right? So Mm. I may not go. So who are you giving your tickets to? I was going to give them to you. All right. But I don't want you to be hurt. So – I, I'm worried about any festival I go to. I mean, I go to a lot of throwing festivals. Don't get me wrong. But this one's different. Um, tomatoes are acidic and they have seeds and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so in an effort to help anybody out there that will be going to the Tomatina Festival or if you were planning on having your own tomato throwing festival, here's some rules that we found. We dug through the archives and found some rules for a healthy, safe fight. When participating in a tomato throwing contest, it's best to adhere to this list of do's and don'ts. Let's start with the don'ts. 1. Don't go for the headshot. The head is home to the brain, which helps you make those crucial tomato throwing strategies. I think your brain is a thick candy shell. So please, use your head and stay away from there. Thanks for the tip. Don't throw green tomatoes. Green tomatoes are great for frying, reading, and watching on the big screen. He's crazy. There's no telling what he might do. But they're not ideal for throwing. Upon impact, the unripe fruit can feel more like a baseball. Which brings us to our last don't of tomato throwing. Don't throw red-painted baseballs. Will you stop it? Sure, it might be funny the first dozen times, but once you reach a baker's dozen... It's just sad. But enough of the negative. Here are some do's to consider when participating in the fun and wholesome pastime that is tomato throwing. Do puncture your tomatoes with a knife. This softens the tomato, which increases the splatter factor, and also increases your level of fun. Do bring along your own epic soundtrack. Music can motivate, captivate, and really up the dramatic end. And lastly, three, do make sure to can the remnants. Preserve the memories as well as the tomatoes themselves. Crushed tomatoes are great for soups, tacos, and homemade ketchups. Delicious! 
By following these simple tomato-throwing do's and don'ts, you won't have a rotten time. For the first time in my life, things are starting to go right. That's a great, I think, lesson for everyone. Yeah, I wouldn't have even – I wouldn't have thought that I should can the no, tomatoes after they've been thrown. But imagine 150,000 kilos of tomatoes. They don't have to be wasted. You just rinse them off and then can those bad boys. I liked all of the do's. It seems like a lot of times when we're trying to create a healthy tomato fight, we always focus on the don'ts. It's good to mix the positive in there too. I like the fact that you increase splatter factor by just – Sticking a knife in it, mm-hmm. decrease the, the the internal pressure, I guess. And then I had never thought of it, but the soundtrack does help. That soundtrack seemed to make it more less of a tomato fight, more of like a rave. Yeah, imagine you had your own personal soundtrack everywhere you went. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Wouldn't you focus better? Wouldn't you be more motivated, yeah. Yeah. happy? Totally, totally. So there are the dues, folks, and you can do it too. We're trying to help you live a healthier, happier life, and we all know that a good tomato in the face can help with that. So please, fight safely. Uh, we got a great show coming up. We're going to get into how do you pay for your, your child's college uh, experience. It's really something that you can work with them and, and create a plan, and you, you could do it early. So stick with us. We've got an expert coming on to help you plan and finance your family's college dreams Stick with us, folks. Uh, The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, whether your child wants to be a doctor, a construction manager, engineer, or teacher, they will need a university degree to achieve their goals, but uh, the cost of college has been and continues to rise at an aggressive rate. So how do you help your children pay for college? Here to discuss is the founder of Invite Education, John Hupolo. Uh, Mr. Hupolo is the co-author of the book, Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams, a parent's step-by-step guide from pre-K to senior year. John Hupolo, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, good morning. Thank you for having me. You bet. Great to have you on the show. Talk to us about um, this uh, th- the prices of, of education. They seem to just be going up exponentially, and, and we have a lot of people that I talk to, even here at uh, BYU, that, that wonder if it's worth it anymore financially. Yeah, that, you know, that, that's exactly the right question, and you're right. Over the last 10 years, the cost of four-year private schools have gone up something like 53%, and 20 years ago, when people thought about what college was going to look like down the road, the, the, the concern was, well, it would be twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000, and you know, now we're talking about forty-three dollars or $44,000 for these high-end schools. Uh, but your question, you know, what comes out on the other side is what I think is, is most important. And you, you said at the top, if you're able to plan, uh, even uh, not, not a 10-page strategic plan of how to get your kid into a college, but just plan a little bit while they're younger, uh, set up a savings program, and then uh, when they're in high school, really think about what will be affordable for your family. That, that's a, a much better path than uh, waking up in the middle of junior year saying, oh, no, college is going to be here in, in a year from now, and, and how are we going to afford this? Mm. little and planning will go a long way. Especially because there's money available, and what I found is it's, it's, it's 
easily available for these students, except a lot of the students don't have, you know, the financial savvy, let alone their parents, to know the impact of what these loans are going to do to them long term. Well, that's exactly right. And there there are two parts of this equation that, that families have to think about. And one is on the family side, you know, how can we save to put this, uh, my, my, and again, this is, we're talking about, we really are talking about family dreams. Students get emotionally attached to particular schools, their friends are there, and mm-hmm. parents want to do the best they can to help their children. And I was in this boat with my two girls. We want them to achieve their dreams. Uh, but what we don't want is to have that, that dream turn into a nightmare because they turned out to, to take too much debt in excess of what uh, they're able to earn and what they can pay. So, again, as you're saying, the, the best course is to really step back, uh, take a deep breath, and try to be realistic about what's going to happen during this process, and then look hard at some of the opportunities that are out there for the free money, grants, scholarships, um, local opportunities, perhaps a student can work a little while they're in school uh, to make some of these payments. And the, the key is to try to keep the amount of debt that's borrowed an absolute minimum. Yeah, keep the debt down. Is there a, um, I mean, I guess, is there a benefit? It just seems to me that when my children are working for their education, they seem to focus more on their education. And when I'm paying for their education, they seem to think it's kind of a free-for-all, like a buffet. Well, it, well, it, buffet is right. And, and the, the, the real point here um, is that it's better when everybody has skin in the game. Yeah. You know, we hear all this political commentary these days about, you know, free, free community college or free education. Well, the fact is uh, we should really think about what's affordable. And when you think about what's affordable, there are kids who are going to college today for free because they're able to get all those grants and the scholarships. Uh, but when you look at what comes out, you know, th- there's great evidence out there that families uh, that have college graduates, those kids are earning about a million dollars more in their lifetime than if they had a high school degree. The average uh, student coming out now with a bachelor's degree is earning almost $50,000 a year. Mm. Uh, with no high school degree, they're earning about half that. Yeah. Um, so, again, if you're smart about how much debt you're going to take on, you can make this a, a really uh, terrific experience and put the student and the now the young adult in a position where they can be really successful in life. How do we know how much debt we should take on for higher ed? Yeah, there's a, a great uh, thumbnail uh, rule of thumb that folks use, and, I, and that is that for the, the most important thing, Matt, is to make sure that, that listeners are thinking about how much do you have to borrow for all four years. Lots of times they get in and say, well, this first year, and then I'll worry about the second and the third and the fourth year. But really think, again, realistically, about how much is it going to take for all four years. And one of those rules of thumb is that you shouldn't borrow more than what you think your first year earnings will be. You so mean overall? Going to come out. Total. You shouldn't borrow total. Uh, overall total for the four years more than your first year salary. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's a great rule. Like so, so well, if I don't if need, I don't need to borrow fifty thousand dollars, if I'm going to be a school teacher, and let's say I'll make fifty five thousand fifty thousand dollars my first year, let's say, um, then I probably ought not be spending a hundred thousand dollars on my education. You ought not do that. That's that's exactly right, and you don't need to be a mathematician for for that little rule of thumb, and and that is well accepted across the industry as as a great guidepost. 
uh, for for students to use a, as a, an opportunity to understand how much can I take on. And then the next question is, well, what does it mean if I can't go to that school of my dreams? And what I like to think about is maybe what's the dream? The mm. dream should be a, a, an education. Maybe not the dream should be at the high, highest cost school that then imperils me or my family or my parents when I'm looking down the road to see how I'm going to pay for it once I'm out of school. Yeah, you bring up a great point about traditions. So many families have loyalty and tradition and history uh, connected to these schools that I want you to be in that sorority at this big school. And sure, it's going to cost more, but it's will- we're all willing to – I mean, I guess in the end, the the dream should be the education. Get the education that's going to further your career. That, that's that's exactly right. And the to me, the, the sad story is, and you read these in the newspapers all the time, because, you know, the, 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 the reality is that most kids, the majority of students, graduate from college, and they're in great shape. They have an appropriate amount of debt. They can repay it, and they go through, and they're, they're great citizens. We read, though, about the horror stories of the $100,000 in debt and the $20,000 or $30,000 a year job, and folks believe that that's the reality of, of most experiences. And when, in fact, it's not. Um, most students are doing just great, and families are doing better uh, the last five years in savings. Uh, programs like these 529 college savings programs. And uh, in Utah, you're blessed with some absolutely terrific programs with the Utah Educational Savings Plan, Mm. which is a direct sole plan. And also the Utah Higher Education Assistance Authority has some wonderful programs. So um, there are resources out there, and families should really look hard at what resources best fit their financial circumstances that then align to what's the right school for that particular student is is uh, in in the back of your head. Do you have a number that if every family could set aside, um, you know, by by saving money uh, through the lifetime of their child? What's that number? Do you have a number in your head of what just is a great little nest egg? Well, you know what's really interesting because it's so dependent on every family circumstance. You say. You know, just try to save as best you can. If $100 a month is within your budget, that's great. If it's $25 a month, I think sometimes people get caught on the idea that, well, um, I can't save enough to make a difference. And that's actually not true. Um, You can save enough to make a difference because in addition to the tuition, the room, and board, don't forget you need to buy books. There's some personal expenses. There's transportation so any dollar saved now is actually going to defray or reduce the amount of debt that might be need to be borrowed in the future. So, again, the idea of, you know, what's the number, uh, I think the number is really dependent on the family. And it's one of those reasons, frankly, why too many families put their head in the sand with this and say, I'm going to figure this out later. Mm-hmm. Well, then they wake up 10 years later, and now their child's no longer crawling around. They're 10 or 12 years old, and they say, oh, no, I'm about to go to high school. Well, I'll wait a few more years and start saving then. When if they had started when that, that child was a toddler, even $25 a week or a month or whatever they can afford, uh, their nest egg uh, can really grow pretty quickly. And we talk a lot about that early in the book. Uh, there's a, a chart in there called Don't Wait to Save. And it tells you if your child's one or five or ten and you save a certain amount each month and you have a certain return, here's how much you'll have at the end. And if you wait, how much more you're going to have to save in four years or five years or ten years from now. So 
again, I think it's really important to just put that discipline in place to to try to save something for college. And two, I think it, it forces a discussion where, like, we have uh, our children have a, a missionary fund to go out on a mission for the church that we belong to, and they have, um, but to have a college fund, and then to have every time they make a dollar. They're putting so much money into these funds, and it creates a discussion when they're young about very value-based things. We believe in serving the church. We believe in paying a tithing. We believe in going out uh, and going to school. And, I mean, it really is an opportunity to teach your kids about values and money. Well, that's absolutely right. And you made the point earlier uh, just about general concept, and I think sometimes it's an overused uh, phrase about financial literacy. You talked about how students, let alone parents, but I think, again, in, in, in the situation where families are value-based and they're talking to their children very early about the value of money, we talk a little bit about this in the book as well, about even young children just counting money, they see you using your credit cards or your debit cards or they watch you um, interact online, that's all part of the process of helping that child understand the value of money. And then by the time they're into the grades uh, and they're able to save a little bit and there are all different kinds of programs out there. Sesame Street has a three-jar program uh, where you save a little uh, for the future, spend a little hmm. bit, and, and give a little bit. You know, all of those kinds of things are, are absolutely critical to helping students have that foundation where they know that they're, the dollar has some value to it and they have to make choices about how they're going to spend that in the future. Mm. And that becomes a really important uh, basis for much bigger decisions. For instance, which school can I afford? How much debt do I really want to take to put myself in a position to get that degree? Right. Those are all critical questions. They are great questions. We're speaking with John A. Hupelo, who is the co-author of the book Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams, a parent's step-by-step guide from pre-K to senior year. Uh, from the co-founders of Invite Education. It really is a powerful book. Almost almost every page, every other page at least, has a tip on it, Um, an actual real deal tip that that you as a parent could be uh, focusing on, paying attention to, where to get the money, how to handle your financial aid applications, um, even ACT information, just... It's a, it's a really well-resourced uh, book. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion where we're going to get into uh, some of the actual plans, some of the, the uh, little tricks of the trade for how you can get your finance uh, organized so your family college dreams can take place. Stick with us, helping you learn more right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is John Hupelo, who is the co-author of the book, A Parent's Step-by-Step Guide from Pre-K to Senior Year. The book's titled Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams. And uh, John and his uh, co-author of the book, uh, uh, Peter Mazarius, um, Dr. Peter Mazarius, they've put together, I think, a really good uh I mean, it's it's a very all-inclusive book, John, and I, I love how you start it with the dream idea because so much of going to school is a dream, and 
it almost feels like when kids have a dream of what they want to become and you can't afford it, that is just – that's a sad nightmare versus the kids that uh, don't have the dream. So talk to us about uh, some of the plans, some of the tools that we can use to actually make sure we are saving. Yeah, Matt, thank thank you. And uh, well, our goal with the book was to write a plain English guide because families are so overwhelmed. They, there's a lot of talk about what's happening. And again, it comes up quickly somehow. We, we all, my girls are 22 and 20, and I remember what happened when they turned 15 and 16. All of a sudden, you realize they're going to mm. be leaving soon. Um, and there's a big transition. And, you know, you're, you're blessed uh, in Utah with strong family values. Uh, and those family uh, values, though, uh, are really now imparted in those children when they're about to, to go off and do something like go to college. Right. A lot of families, it's a really shocking thing. But the, the idea about planning early, uh, there are really great opportunities out there to, to uh, plan for college from a financial perspective. Um, the Roth IRA allows for some savings. There are U.S. savings bond programs, E and E. Uh, the Coverdell education savings accounts are for families with incomes under $110,000, and they allow for tax-free withdrawals. Uh, but at the top of the list, and what usually works uh, best for most families, are those 529 college savings plans. And I mentioned earlier uh, the Utah Educational Savings Plan and your listeners can find it at uesp.org, um, is one of the, the finest programs in the, in the country. Um, and the, the reality for families is that, as we said before, whatever you can save, you want to put it into uh, a savings program that you know uh, will work for you, has low fees, is flexible, and the 529 plans are very flexible. If the child doesn't go to college or there's money left over, you can take those remaining monies and then transfer it to another child mm. or yourself or any relative. So um, you have that opportunity. And the, the biggest win in all of this, and it comes from the fact that these are tax-advantaged accounts. So when you put the money in, you have those earnings over time. You're not paying any tax on those earnings, so it continues to accumulate. You're not paying Uncle Sam with your hard-earned dollars. Uh, you're paying back the student, in effect, giving them more uh, opportunity for the future. And then when you withdraw those funds out of those accounts, again, it's on a, a non-taxed basis, as long as you use it for what they call mm. technically qualified educational expenses, but the expenses are, are broad, tuition, room, board, just about everything you'd imagine for school, including now computers. Uh, you can use all those funds for those reasons and do it on, on a tax-free basis. Do you, do you set those, those up? Do you have to set those up through an accountant? How does that work? No, you you can go to uh, uesp.org and just fill it out. There about how how to do that. Yeah, um, it's it's really uh, very flexible. You don't need any specialized expertise with this. Uh, there are many uh, different options um, under these plans that work best uh, for each uh, family. Um, what what's most important though um, is that uh, just starting to save. Um, literally, the the concept that we're going to have the discipline. Uh, to go in and and save on a consistent basis. Uh, This is a a flexible account. Uh, Parents can open them. Grandparents can open them. You can actually provide gifts into them. Mm. They can print out a form. Uh, And then, you know, for instance, again, a grandparent may want to to give their grandchild a gift. 
uh, they fill out a form, they, they send a check uh, to, to UESP, and they send a little uh, certificate to, this, to the grandchild saying, I just put some money in your college account. Oh, how great. Uh, so these are, are really powerful, powerful uh, savings vehicles. Does, um, I mean, and I guess along with that, so that's kind of the saving, savings vehicle, the tool we can use. Plus there's grants, there's, uh, there's other ways you can do it. What are some of the, the, um, the tips you give us about finding the other money, finding the scholarship money, the grant money? Yeah, that is absolutely critical, and and the financial aid award letters are sometimes tricky because there's some free money in there, and then there's earned money in the in the uh, around the work study programs, and then there's also what they call aid, which are loans, which we all know is not aid. But to your point, the free money, I would start with the local resources. High school guidance counselors are absolutely terrific, hmm. identifying local opportunities. Uh, there are also um, search engines uh, for um, different scholarship opportunities at inviteeducation.com. We have a search engine for scholarships, but there are others out there like fastweb.com. Um, I would uh, encourage parents, and particularly students, uh, when, when there's an interest, an employer sometimes may have a program, uh, but really cast a wide net and think broadly about how you might be able to find this money. Use the online resources. Uh, definitely check in with the guidance counselor because they they've known they know where where students in those high schools have been successful in years past and they'll help guide you to some free money. Mm. If you have to end up uh, you know borrowing and going in and, and doing some of the financial aid uh, money, what are some of the common mistakes parents make when it comes to borrowing? Well, the first um, mistake is uh, that the, the um, amount that they borrow is sometimes in excess of what's necessary. And it's important here to realize that there are student loans, so the student is the only and the primary obligor on those loans, so they're on the hook to make those repayments. They have uh, loans from the federal government called the direct loans, uh, which they can get through their uh, colleges. Uh, so they would specifically uh, be responsible for those repayments. And then there are other loans that are parent-based loans. The federal government has one called the PLUS program. And then there are private lenders out there who are also um, offering those loans. And in in Utah, there is a program uh, called the Complete Student Loan uh, offered by the Utah Higher Education Assistance Authority. And those are fixed-rate loans uh, from uh, the Utah not-for-profit student loan company. Hmm. So I would, I would check all those. But, again, the first uh, is over-borrowing. And the, the tip, I, I think, which is most important is that students and, and parents should try to pay the interest on those loans while they're in school. And so what I mean by that, Matt, is that if I, I take a loan for $100 and I have a 5% interest rate, then I owe 5% interest. Um, while I'm in school, I should really try to make those interest payments uh, mm. because otherwise the lender will just add it on to the principal amount of the loan. So when I get out of school, uh, let's say it was just one year, in my example, I would owe $105 and have to start paying interest on that $105 rather than a lesser amount. So paying interest while in school and minimizing the amount of debt that we're taking for this college degree are the two most important tips that, that I can offer to families. Oh, Because a lot of times you get this idea that, yeah, you don't even have to pay on that money till you have a job. But, yeah, you don't. But the interest will accrue. 
the the interest accrues. That that that's exactly right. And the other point that I think is important that uh, I want to say that not all student loan debt is bad debt. Right. In fact, when students take debt and they they come out of college and they have an, an, a responsible, affordable amount, it helps them build their credit record really quickly. And that's an absolute huge positive for, for the young consumer, if you want to think of them that way, just out of college, making their loan payments on time. It makes it easier to get an apartment down the road to get a car and eventually a mortgage. So um, the student loan debt can uh, be used in a very positive way if it's used carefully and responsibly. Um, one of the things, too, I guess, to be paying attention to, and we just found uh, BYU made the list of one of the best values for your investment in education, um, just because the costs and the ability to get aid and other things, and then how much money you make coming out of school, is each each school, each college, each university also is is basically it's part of the financial investment you've got to make sure you're going to the right school that will get you the right return no 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 question about that and when my girls uh, went through the process uh, one of the um, really primary uh, concerns we had going in was what what are you doing when you're going to get out are you think you're going to go to grad school or do you think you're going to want to get a job and if you want to get a job then let's go and talk about the career placement center early Let's talk about the alumni network, and I, I know BYU has a very strong yeah. alumni network, but all those are really critical to helping to maximize that value on that education. No question about it. And, and so I, it's this whole thing. It's the, it's the savings plans like the 529. It's the starting early to make sure we're investing early. It's borrowing, uh, thinking about the whole long-term plan of, of four years, plus Many times it's the four-year degree only leads to help you get a graduate degree. So I guess you should also be factoring in if you're going to be paying for graduate school as well. It's, it's a bunch of things that come together. And, and really, I, I guess it's complicated, which is why probably most people don't take advantage of your lessons. Well, it's, and it's the reason we wrote the book, quite honestly, Matt. We, we think it's actually not complicated if you just set, sit back uh, take a moment to think about what's important. Um, line up your family values for what you can do on each of those. And, and when you really boil it down, there are only two questions that 12th grade families have to answer. And that is, can my child get into school of their dreams or into a, a, school, a college that they want to attend? And second, can we afford it? And all the rest around it is a bunch of process. So if you understand the process, you're not confused by the terms, particularly in the financial aid world where there's a lot of jargon, uh, make sure you know all that early in the process. And start in the ninth grade, start in the tenth grade, understanding what the financial aid process is for college. And again, you don't need to spend hours and hours. Uh, the book outlines some of this in, in really uh, good detail, uh, but at a high enough level that it's understandable, written in plain English, and it's really meant to help families prepare themselves so they're not surprised when 11th grade comes around or 12th grade comes. Now they have a financial aid award letter, and they're saying to themselves, well, wait a minute, we, we have all this paid for, and then when they dig into it, they find out it's really paid for because this school determined that we're just going to give you a bunch of loans, and that's how we're going to tell you that this is affordable. Right. So there's a lot of preparation involved to try to take some of the complexity out of it, no question. And as we, as we wrap up, is there any advice you'd give us as parents to prepare our children, uh, I mean our teens especially, to be more financially ready to not 
to go to to go there and take advantage of everything that's going on, but not get sucked into getting into debt early. Yeah, and that's a, a really uh, important point. And it, I think that the bottom line on all of it, and the the succinct piece there, is just try to have those conversations early. And the second point is, and we saw this in our family, by the time the, the, the kids, I was going to say children, but they're not children when they're juniors and seniors in high school, they're also sort of flapping their wings a little bit. They're ready to leave the nest. And this becomes a, a really interesting uh, family issue. And if you lay the groundwork early, talk to them about being financially responsible. Um, the many students today, and you talk to them, I have a great opportunity to talk to them all the time. Um, they know what happened uh, in 2008 and 2009 around the recession. Uh, kids are in high school now, uh, learn those lessons, and they are much more responsible. Uh, my own daughters didn't want to open a credit card because they were concerned about having credit card debt. Mm. And I talked to them about how you can actually use that responsibly to build a, a better future for yourself. Uh, so I, I was uh, intrigued by your, your opening. Uh, we talked about the tomato fight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the, the goal of our book was to make sure that uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, bother our, our children with the, the, the detail and the mess around uh, uh, trying to get into a situation where they get in over their heads with, with planning for college. We can help them, we can direct them, and hopefully uh, we can keep them so uh, they're not too messy when the, the fight starts. Right, right. No, great. Uh, I think wonderful insight. And, uh, John, we appreciate your time, your insight, your guidance. Again, uh, John Hupelo's is his name, and he's the co-author of the book, Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams. It's a dream, folks, and in the end, it's a reality that produces more money. When you are a college grad, about a million dollars more is your earning capability versus not being a college grad. Uh, by the way, a dream for all of us, really, with our kids. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour or sec- second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. So much to do, so much to do. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Sure, you got to worry about your kid's college degree, but uh, Sunday officially marked three months until Christmas. But who's actually counting? Well, we all know those neighbors who put up their Christmas lights before Halloween and they start listening to holiday music as soon as the weather begins to change. When it comes to holidays, how soon is too soon for celebration? Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to share with us her thoughts on the matter. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. How soon is too soon? Well, that's what I wanted to talk about because Sunday was October 25th (sighs) and people made a big deal about it on Twitter. But then I was driving on Monday to school or home from school, I guess. I was driving home and I was flipping through the radio channels because my phone was dead so I couldn't listen to my phone music. So you couldn't talk to people. And guess what came on the radio? What? This. It's the most no way. I kid you not. This song was playing on the radio, and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, doesn't oh, it just make you want to sing? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was, got really excited, but then I realized that I haven't even been to a haunted house yet. How can I be listening to Christmas music before I've been to a haunted I know. house? Well, and you still have to buy all of the, the treats for Halloween, plus... You still have Thanksgiving. Well, yeah. See, I mean, come on. So, well, so how early is too early? So I asked a couple of people, like 
their opinions on it. And I asked my, my mom, obviously, she was just flabbergasted. She was like, how can we can't skip holidays? She was like, we can celebrate holidays all together. She, goes, she doesn't talk like that, does she? N- well, not quite, no. Okay. But then she said, she goes, Thanksgiving is an important holiday, and I feel like we skip over it too often right. on our way to Christmas. There's no money in it. Nobody gets gifts, except for you get a really good turkey. Ah, but that's the greatest gift of all. It's so, the gift that keeps giving. And then my little sister, who doesn't like anything happy, was really upset because she loves Halloween. See? So that, she thinks Halloween deserves a bigger celebration. Well, don't you think this answers the question, then? You shouldn't be starting the Christmas. In fact, we should get rid of that Christmas music, because that is just darkness. <laughs> so what do you think, Matt? My question was, I just wanted to talk to you. Keep How it, early is too early? It's too early if it's three holidays away. It's like my son getting asked to a dance that's three dances away. Let the oh, boy enjoy point. this dance. <laughs> Don't make Has him worry about... To him? Yeah, he just did. Really? So, but, which is great. These are great young women, and my son's a hearty, well, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the downside is, though, like, for example, the minute my neighbors start putting up Christmas lights, major pressure on me. Right, well, I saw. I drove past. It was kind of like a public event center where they do parties and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And they had a their big tree outside their event center was covered in Christmas lights. Oh, are you Not serious? Not orange ones. But they have to do it. That's what they're the thinking. The white ones. But they the have Christmas to do it early lights. because it, they want to do it when it's when they there's they no advertising snow. Advertising for oh right. Yeah. So these are just the crews. They need to make money because lawn care has stopped. So now all of these lawn care crews need to start making money on lights. Well, here's Before a, the snows come, then they'll make the money on the snow. True. See, it's a system. Here's another thing. So then I started looking at other countries because not every country has Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right? That's only us. Just us. And so crazies. I lived in the Philippines for 18 months, for a year and a half. And there, they don't have Thanksgiving and Halloween is a little bit different than how we celebrate it here. So Christmas for them starts in September because they don't really have another holiday. Right. So, so you hear – I remember when I was there, uh, I would hear Christmas music from September all the way till February. It's too much because then you have to actually – it's like it's like the – we were talking about Hillary Clinton for a year and a half <laughs> because we had nothing else to talk about. Well, I think uh, Chris, Christmas is a little bit happier than Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but – Personal opinion. That's the deal is it's the markets that drive this. And so yeah. I think as people, we need to stand against it and say no. 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 Let us get let us get into November, then you can start playing Christmas songs yeah. mid November. Well, but in Germany, so their Christmas celebration starts with Advent. It's called yeah. Advent, and mm-hmm. that starts on November eleventh. And they have Krampus, right? Ah, uh, that guy. Uh, that See, guy. these people Not that start that too guy. early need a little Krampus beatdown. Sorry to be negative. Well, and so Australia, they have such a strong British and European heritage. But December for them is when they celebrate Christmas, but it's not cold. That's summer oh, yeah. for them. Oh, yeah. So they celebrate. Canada. They actually celebrate Christmas in July because that's when it's cold. Okay. Yeah. They still celebrate it in December, but Christmas in July is a real holiday. Yeah. Some people even so get work off. you got to celebrate it when it's cold. Um, okay. So basic point, I think we've come to a conclusion, Caitlin. How do you not ruin the holiday season? Don't ruin the holiday season by doing it too early. Give it time. Let it fester like All a wound. All things in their season, folks. That sounds so negative. Hey, we will take a break. That's hour number two of the program. We'll be back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program. Holy cow, have we got a great show for you. Uh, today we will be speaking with Ron Hager about, um, you know, Ron's the guy that comes in. He's the health evangelist. He's trying to make us healthier, wealthier, and wise. Good luck with that. Uh, today we'll be talking about uh, eating, drinking, you know. Can you, can you eat healthier without it including bacon? Because... I'm not sure you can. And bacon's healthy. Just depends how you eat it. In moderation. In moderation. If I always I always have bacon all over my salad. That helps. Uh, we'll be getting into the health uh, segment with um, the typical breakfast. What breakfast is the healthy breakfast? What can you have? Eggs? I mean, are eggs good for you? You never know. Depends. depends on the month. Depends on the month. Depends who you're talking to. So we'll get into that. It's also crush a can day. A little uh, can-crushing music. It's a can-can. Wow. (laughs) And they're crushing it. They are crushing the can-can. It's also Ancestor Appreciation Day. This is where you should look back to your history and just appreciate those that have gone before you. Learn about those... Your ancestors, the ones that maybe brought you across. Well, not you. You, yeah. Yeah. Are you doing yours, Matt? Right now, as we speak. Ancestry, uh, we're working. My son is like big into our ancestry. He goes to Ancestry.com, and I am finding out a lot of things. I have a lot of relatives that are famous that I'm related to. Past presidents, Elvis. At some point, everyone's related to the same king of Prussia, so you're fine. Yeah. That was a great king, by the way. Um, So happy Ancestry Day, a day I think many just overlook. You know, those those people are long gone. So we'll get to all of that fun, plus, uh, of course, our health and our breakfast. What's the healthiest breakfast you should be eating? And a good visit from our friends at BYU Sports Nation. We'll find out what's up on their show at the top of the hour and the hero of the day. So much to do. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? The Walt Disney Company is reportedly considering buying Twitter, insiders reportedly told Bloomberg News on Monday. According to the financial news outlet, the multinational mass media corporation is working with a financial advisor to evaluate a possible bid for the social media company. Twitter stock jumped late last week after news arose that the company was close to a sale with possible suitors that include Salesforce.com and Google. Beef products are probably the cause of an E. coli outbreak that has sickened seven people for four states, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. From June 27th to September 4th, seven people ages 1 to 74 from West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Massachusetts contracted a new string of E. coli. 
No deaths have been reported, but five of the seven have been hospitalized and this, the CDC reported. The CDC, the Department of Agriculture, and multiple states are investigating the outbreak, which was traced to the Adams Farm Slaughterhouse in Massachusetts. The New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons came together for a powerful display of unity Monday night by joining hands in a circle on the field following the national anthem. Saints coach Sean Payton reached out to Falcons coach Dan Quinn with the er idea earlier this week, and player leaders from both teams loved it. They figured it was a great way for players to join the growing protests around the NFL against the injustice in America while still making it a message about unity, especially with two longtime rival teams from culturally rich cities. And finally... Yes. I'm More sportsmanship news. Um, Los Angeles Rams and Seattle Seahawks fans set aside their differences after a recent game to rescue fans from an overturned portable toilet. Ooh. Uh, Jordan Rambis posted a video to Instagram showing a man in the jam in a sorry Rams jersey attempting <laughs> to open a locked door to an overturned portable toilet September 18th. <laughs> following the game in Los Angeles, a man wearing a Seahawks shirt, shirt soon joins the man and is able to yank the door open, freeing the fan trapped inside. Hmm. So I think he was very grateful for that. Yeah. Can you imagine? <sighs> and you know, if anyone, I would hope if anyone was ever locked in a porta potty, it doesn't matter what team you play for, what you look like. I hope you would let someone out of the porta potty that's turned over. Yeah, I mean, g- you know, give your give the man a hand. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, that is like my worst nightmare ever to have a a, a boy a porta potty tip over, and then you're trapped inside. Like, what if it falls on the door? And it's on its side, on the door, and you can't get out. And it's just filling up. <sighs> Sorry to get graphic with you. But to me, they they call that blue death. Who? Who calls that blue death? Uh, the pundits. Okay. <laughs> the pundits. <laughs> Honestly, that makes me sick. Um, well, you know what? It could be worse. It, it, it could be worse. You could be uh, the neighbor of this 50-year-old westerly uh, Rhode Island man who is charged with shooting corn cobs at his neighbor's home. Jeffrey Osella was arrested Tuesday night. Police say he answered the door shirtless, believe it or not, and had corn kernels stuck to his chest. Police say Osella used a potato gun to shoot corn cobs at his neighbor's house, which is up for sale. The gun is made of PVC pipe and uses a light accelerant, such as hairspray. And then you ignite the hairspray, bada boom, bada bing, poof. And if you heat it up enough, it, it'll pop your corn for you. He was just having a party. <laughs> Police say Osella and his neighbor have a long-running dispute. So he's like, I'm just going to shoot some corn over at him. Corn cobs. Man, popcorn sounds good right now. Was it kettle corn on the cob? <laughs> I think it depends where it landed. Did it land in the neighbor's kettle or did it land um, or did it, you know, just turn. Apparently his turned into just popcorn. So there wasn't even a kettle involved, just a gun. 
So watch out for that neighbor, folks. I mean, as if this is why you need gun control. When does this stop? Now people are firing corn on the cob at you. His cavalier attitude about nuclear weapons is so deeply totally true. I don't think that's a nuclear weapon, though. That's just a corn on the cob. You could use that in multiple instances. I found that uh, – wasn't it interesting that when they found him, he had corn, kernels of corn stuck on his chest in, in his hair um, and he – anyway, had his shirt off. It's because you work up a sweat when you're running the gun. Hey, I guess you'd tell me. Which would you rather have? Some neighbor shooting corn cobs at you or be in Pasadena, California and have three black bears – uh, who basically came into your California neighborhood, treated it like a resort. They took a little dip in the backyard pool. They went some dumpster diving for a little buffet. The trio, two cubs and their mother, wandered out of San Gabriel Mountains into the foothill city of Pasadena last week, venturing through the backyards and into the pools. I mean, like they don't deserve a break. I think we have some audio of the uh, the woman... In whose backyard this was? Oh, we do. So, so it's an interview with the woman, you know, part of, I guess, the resort owner for these bears. Great argument. Hmm. Apparently, they didn't stop. No. But maybe they were hungry. Yeah. What do and, you do? And who is she to say that that doesn't even taste like food? She doesn't know. Bear, it's a bear. Why is she talking to the bear? Does she think the bear's like, oh, sorry, ma'am. My well, bad. It was walking on its hind legs. It had a hat on with a <laughs> picnic basket. So, of course, it talks. Hey, boo-boo. Wow, that's great audio, though. It's that's the neat thing about our team here; they can find audio from the lady who's was being taken advantage of by the bear. By the way, the mother bear appeared to be about three hundred pounds. Wow, you know, so they were pretty healthy. They then broke into a song. Nice. Oh, did you hear him chomping on the? Yeah. Yeah. Super cute. Cute bears. Bears. Dup bears. Um, any other headlines, Terry, we need to be worrying about this morning? Are you a fan of breakfast cereal? Uh, not so much. Not so much. Do you mm-hmm. have one that you would say would be your favorite? Uh, bacon and eggs. Cereal. Okay. Like if you were a kid, uh, you know, is there something as a kid you liked? Yeah. I used to love Captain Crunch mm-hmm. until they had to rebuild the roof of my mouth. Yes. Yes. And I like... Uh, um, it's called cinnamon toast crunch. Is that what it's called? Mm, yeah, that's almost like you're eating cinnamon toast. You're really not eating something healthy at that mm, point, but mm. it's really good. My mm. wife goes and buys like boxes of those because you know because they don't come in bags anymore. It's on sale do. right now at Costco, by the way. Cinnamon toast crunch, five ninety nine. Treat yourself. <laughs> so uh, since two thousand nine, MrBreakfast.com has maintained a database called the Cereal Project. The site has cataloged one thousand five hundred sixty eight cereals released over one hundred fifty years yeah. and allowed visitors to vote on which one is the best cereal in history. 
in history. History. Cool. 5,700 votes. Wow. What's Who wins? It's going to be something basic. It will be like a Rice Krispie or it will be a Cheerio. So with uh, 5,000 votes? Yeah. Out yeah. of the 570,000, we have Quisp. Pardon? Quisp. Uh, Say what? The champion of cereals. Hold on. Are you saying that with a lisp? No, Quisp. Q-U-I-S-P. In 1965, Quaker Quisp. originated Quisp, originally marketed as the vitamin-powered sugary cereal for Quazy Energy, Q-U-A-Z-Y. Crunchy and corn-based, it had the comparable taste to Captain Crunch, so it probably ripped the roof of your mouth open. Yeah, yeah. It largely, thanks to its uh, affable pink alien mascot, it quickly became the most popular cereal in the United States, ranking or raking in 1.6% of the entire breakfast cereal market. It was discontinued in the 70s and is today only available online. But with this uh, with this poll, half a million people, 5,000 of them voted. Quisp, the best <laughs> cereal of all time. The rest of the top 10, yeah. very close, uh, by Frosted Flakes, Honey Nut Cheerios, Cap'n Crunch, and Wheaties. Overall, the list is heavily skewed towards older, defunct cereals. Yes. 61 of the top 100 released prior to 1980. 54 of the 100 have been since discontinued. The average release year on these cereals is 1971. Really? One might conclude that from this, that the 70s were the greatest area for tasty cereals. More real, uh, realistically, this average is tainted by nostalgia. Yeah, I think it would be. There's something about, I mean, I remember vividly eating uh, Wheaties. Mm-hmm. Looking at the box with Bruce Jenner on it. Right. Caitlin's... Alter ego. Alter ego. And, um, you know, never would have imagined the what would ha- what Bruce would go through and, and his mm-hmm. change and all of that. But it's but totally nostalgic about Bruce Jenner. Won an Olympic medal. Uh-huh. He was the, he was the, the stud of all studs because he was the decathlete. He now, could do everything. Going on, as the New York Times reported earlier this year, breakfast cereal sales have dipped considerably in the past 15 years from $13 billion in 2000 to less than $10 billion today. On August 2015, a poll from Global Research Company showed that a global research company showed that while cereal is popular among baby boomers, 40% of all millennials deem it an inconvenient breakfast choice because they have to clean up after eating it. Yeah, I don't like it for that reason either. They have to rinse out the bowl. That sounds like a good cereal name too, baby boomers. Maybe like one of the generic brands that no. comes in the big bags. Have you ever had a baby? Have you had a baby lately? No, that not oh, literal baby babies. Did a boomer. Like baby little, made a boomer. Little baby pebbles or flakes. Ooh, don't, baby no. boomers. Can't say baby pebbles. <laughs> I just was with my grandbaby last night. And so when baby make a boomer, that means something different in my world. Baby. Hey, baby. But like there's certain f- cereals I don't like either just because I feel like I'll have a seizure for eating it. That's like some of those really crazy sugary ones that are multiple colors. My heart rate goes up just thinking about it. That's why our next guest, Ron Hager, will be joining us. He'll be talking about breakfast. What's the, what's the healthiest breakfast you can have? To me, it's obviously an omelet with lots of cheese and sour cream, maybe some bacon. <laughs> I have a feeling he won't agree with me. 
but it beats Quisp. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. So true. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. He uh, He's the guru, folks. He is the guy, Dr. Death Preventer. He's going to help us live. Even if we don't want to, he's going to keep us alive. We'll take a break. We'll be right back, helping you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. for the health evangelist he's here bringing the spirit of goodness and joy just get healthy folks today dr ron hager's back with us he's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the college of life sciences at brigham young university he's an expert in chronic disease prevention and is here today to talk about american breakfast <laughs> you like your new song american yeah that is a pretty cool yeah. song that's you're a, the evangelist is that we're gonna get that every time every time wow I'm look, looking forward to this more now than I know. ever. See, we used to call you Death Preventer. Yeah. That was kind of like a Dementor. That was a, seemed more negative. Kind of a downer. Health Evangelist. <laughs> okay. And with that music, you have us all tapping our toe. It so personally, I'm a breakfast guy. If I could choose anything, I'd rather have an omelet. Yeah. Well, omelets are good. Just stacked with goo. Yeah. yeah especially if it's like a an omelet bar, right? They call Ooh, them now. Yeah. Where, where there's like 35 different things. You can custom you, make you it. You get to pick whatever you mm-hmm. want on it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get that very often. No, you don't. And, and when you do, you, it's hard to afford it. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. It's a buffet usually. Yeah. It, it seems like we talked about breakfast cereals and um, we also talked about – you've talked to us forever about calories and how to watch your calories and don't drink your calories. Juices. There's a lot of juice people drink in the yeah. morning. That was sold to us for years that yeah. that's how you wake up. Well, a lot of this has to do with marketing, totally, uh, Matt. And you know, you, you you were talking about breakfast cereals, and and that's kind of interesting because if you think about, I, I mean, I I grew up in the in the era uh, where you know I could wake up early on a Saturday. I couldn't wake up early on any other day, but I could wake up early on a Saturday morning yeah. be, because you know cartoons are on totally. And and I still have vivid memories of you know commercial breaks that were almost always about. You know, either something like Flintstones vitamins, mm-hmm. you know, v- vitamins for kids yeah. or breakfast cereal. But it was all being marketed, targeted specifically at kids. And then, of course, you know, the kids go to the parents and say, I have to have this cereal or whatever. But but I remember so I remember seeing the cereal commercials. And even today, you know, you see them uh, where they say, uh, you know, fortified with, you know, nine essential vitamins and minerals or whatever. And part of a nutritious breakfast. And then they always show a picture of the bowl of the cereal with, you know, strawberries or bananas cut up in the bowl. Right. And then there's also a slice of whole wheat toast and, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a glass of orange juice next to the bowl of cereal in this picture. Right. And so it, to me, you know, the, especially the sugar-based cereals, they're, they're, they're not nutritious. Right. They're not at all. They're not good for you, period. But they can get away with saying part of a nutritious breakfast because it really is in that picture they're setting, it really is part of a nutritious breakfast. Well, because yeah. a piece of whole wheat toast <laughs> and some fruit is a nutritious breakfast. And so this cereal is part it's of it. Part, just like the silverware and the plate were all part. 
yeah, of a nutritious that's, that's right. That, meal. Yeah, the bowl the cereal is in is also part of a nutrition. It's true. So, so there's some there's some cunning going on in this thing we call advertising and and marketing and even public relations and this kind of thing. And I got thinking about this because of an article that just came out uh, in JAMA Internal Medicine uh, just just a couple of weeks ago, and it hit a lot of the the popular news outlets and so forth. So back in the uh, you know, 1950s, especially, there was a lot of research being done. Uh, you know, sugar, uh, sucrose, uh, you know, added sugar yeah. was, was being studied quite a bit because it was increasing in the American diet. And uh, and researchers and scientists were finding that there was a link between uh, added sugar consumption and uh, cardiovascular disease. Well, you know, m- most of the time you would think, you know, well, well, hey, this is great news. It's good, right. good to know Let's these things. Let's figure this out. Yeah, but if you're part of the sugar industry, uh, you know, that's not such great news. Right. So uh, these these authors of this article uh, were able to go back and retrieve, you know, documents, uh, you know, memos, letters, those kinds of things. They didn't have email back then, but uh, these kinds of things. And they were able to kind of put together uh, some things that had hap- that had gone on. And, and what they found is that um, – the the sugar industry's uh, trade organization uh, had put in motion a plan uh, to uh, discredit that research that had been done mm. linking sucrose consumption or sugar consumption to cardiovascular disease and to also uh, sort of shift the blame or kind of, uh, I guess, you know, create a, a diversion, I suppose, or, or something like that. Um, and... Uh, what they discovered is that some researchers had been hired. Some of these researchers were actually on the board of mm. the sugar and industries trade organization. Yeah, and uh, and of course, you know, if you're being paid substantial amounts of money, my guess is the results you're going to find in your research are going to, you know, support uh, where your bread is buttered. I right. suppose you could say, right? right? I mean, I mean that that just kind of makes sense. It's hard to be unbiased. When you're getting paid maybe thirty, forty thousand dollars to do a study, what they did is they put together a meta analysis of uh, of the studies that have been done, and and they were tar- they were targeting two things. There was research being done on fat consumption, particularly saturated fat, and it's linked to cardiovascular disease, and sugar consumption, and it's linked to cardiovascular disease. And in a meta analysis, you you compile all of the studies that have been done on a given topic. And you evaluate them together hmm. to see what the overall yeah. strength or effect is. And so, uh, and one of the things you do if you do a, a meta analysis is you consider the quality of the research. And so, it was discovered that these researchers went in and and made discrediting uh, remarks in their meta analysis about all the research that had been done linking sugar to cardiovascular disease. Uh. They 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 found all kinds of weaknesses, faults. Uh, you know, some of these things were just fabricated even, it was discovered, yeah. uh, about this research, uh, you know, indicating that, you know, th- there's no connection between sugar consumption and cardiovascular disease. And then at the same time, they highlighted all of the research as, as being, you know, linking fat consumption to cardiovascular disease as being good research, yeah, valid. You know, solid, valid <laughs> research. So the shift in, in attention went from sugar to fat. And, you know, if you think back during this time period, uh, you know, that's about the time 
you know, in the 70s and so forth, uh, uh, 60s and 70s when, you know, all fat is bad, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. All of a sudden there was low fat everything, no fat options for food. And, and scientists and researchers and food industry were trying to come up with fat substitutes, right. you know, which basically were a flop. Well, and the flat uh, substi- or a fat substitute would flop, but then you'd probably have to sugar it up <laughs> to make it palatable. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden we know that it didn't work because we became more obese. Right, right. So uh, – and heart disease, you know. Yeah. And I, diabetes. I, I mean, and To be fair, heart disease death rates have actually come down. Have they? But the actual prevalence of heart disease – has expanded. Has basically, well, if anything, it's kind of stayed the same. Man. You know, so we're getting better at saving people who have heart disease, you know, keeping them alive yeah. longer, treating keeping them, them from dying, treating them. But not yeah, preventing but it. But not preventing it. So, so this got me thinking about, you know, if this kind of stuff was going on clear back then, and certainly it's going on now. And in fact, uh, there was an invited commentary uh, for that article in the same issue of uh, JAMA Internal Medicine, uh, uh, an invited commentary by Marion Nestle. And uh, and this this author, uh, you know, s- said that you know, for example, you know, in 2015, the New York Times uh, obtained emails revealing Coca-Cola's uh, cozy relationships with sponsored researchers mm. who were conducting right. studies aiming at minimizing the effects of sugary drinks on obesity. See, see, so these industries, right. these industries, uh, you know, they don't want their bottom line to be affected by good solid research. So they're actually hiring people. Uh, I mean, and, and get get this. Um, uh, the Associated Press obtained emails showing how a candy trade association funded and influenced studies to show that children who eat sweets have healthier body weights than those who do not. Oh, boy. I mean, this this kind of stuff, it, it goes totally against common sense. Mm-hmm. So that got me thinking about how much do we even think about the kinds of foods that we eat or how we're influenced. No. Yeah. So I, I looked into something that I'd always been intrigued by, and that's the all-American breakfast. And that's where we started, you know, our conversation. Right. And, you know, when you think of the all-American breakfast, and you can even go to certain restaurants and they have on their menu the all-American breakfast or right. the Grand Slam breakfast or whatever, you know, as if you, you know, in order to be an appropriate patriot, you know, you have to eat this kind of breakfast. Um but in the 1920s, the Beechnut Packing Company, a meat packing company, hired a man named Edward Bernays, who in his obituary was called the father of public relations. And he was also Sigmund Freud's nephew. Hmm. And so he had this idea of incorporating you know, some of his um, uh, uh, uncle's uh, psychoanalytic uh, approaches with public relations, marketing, and advertising. And they hired him because they – wanted their bacon sales to increase. And so, so <laughs> to protect their bacon. So so Edward Bernays uh went to the company's physician. And a lot of big companies, they have an yeah. in-house doctor, went to the company's physician and he said, "Doesn't it make sense that after a long night's sleep without any energy intake that a hearty breakfast of bacon and eggs would be good for a person?" Well, this physician, I mean, what's he going to sure. say? Well, of course he's going to say sure. I mean, I mean, he's working for the company, right? Right. So Edward Bernays says, well, would you please send a letter to 5,000 doctor colleagues and ask them uh, if they could support this as well? So this is research. Oh, brother. Right? And so five, not all 5,000, but nearly 5,000 doctors report back and say, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Let's go with that. And so it started to hit the newspapers, the magazines, and other media outlets that – Physicians all across America 
suggests that for your health, after a long night's sleep with no energy consumption, a hearty breakfast of bacon and eggs would be good for you. This is where it came from. And nearly 100 yeah. years later, we still we buy, into, buy it. into it. Ah, yeah. see, and this is, this is the dilemma. And yet we all, five out of ten doctors agree. We hear all this stuff, and yet so much of it's just fabricated. Let's take a break. Okay. We're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager um, and uh, really about – that's why we have the typical breakfast that our doctors say is essential to us because of some crazy story. See, it always goes back. It always goes back to um, Freud. Always. <laughs> yeah, it's always Freud's fault. Freud's fault. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Come back, helping you uh, live a healthier, happier life. More with the health evangelist, Dr. Ron Hager, up next. And I realize that everything. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager. He is our uh, our health evangelist, trying to help us be healthier, not just here to keep us from killing ourselves, but to give us other ideas of what we can do to be healthy. One of the things uh, Dr. Ron's been talking to us about is don't necessarily believe the research. Yeah. A lot of the research is backed by um, by the actual the people that make the money in sugars or in fats or in whatever. Yeah, no, you the know, industry. When it comes to research, there's supposed to be supposed to be full disclosure, right? right. If there's any con- conflict of interest or whatever, you know. I- in other words, if I was to collect some data, analyze the data, and publish the findings, and I had been paid by an organization to do that, you should state I, that. I should disclose that I had been paid by that organization to right. do that, and there are. Efforts, you know, journals, you know, do require that, um, uh, but it probably could be better. You know, it probably could be more strict. It co- probably could be uh, more more enforced, I suppose, um, because you don't always get the whole truth, right? Matt. And and that's, you know, and, and that's part of the, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound like some kind of conspiracy theorist or something like that, but um, but when you don't get the whole truth, when little pieces are held out. Uh, you know, it, it's all part of a design to get you to think a certain way. I want to read a quote. I mentioned Edward Bernays, you know, in his uh, work with uh, the Beech Nut Packing Company and getting oatmeal off the charts, uh, you know, their sales. Um, you, know, you know, back in the day, the, the, um, the all-American breakfast. You know, yeah. So back when this was going on, the all-American breakfast was typically some kind of fruit. Right. Like an apple or a banana or an orange. And a small bowl of porridge, which was usually mm-hmm. oatmeal, yeah, and a cup of coffee. That's all you need. That was the all-American breakfast. <laughs> so that is not the all-American breakfast now. That's considered what? What is that considered? It's more like a. That's w- yeah. That's for the uh, that's for the old timer. That's yeah. The, what 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 pseudo healthy? What is it when you go to a, a hotel and they? Oh yeah, the continental breakfast. Th- that's the continental breakfast. Boring, right? That, that's right? The, yeah, that's not the all-American breakfast. That's continental breakfast. Well, Edward Bernays wrote a book. Uh, You'll never guess the title. Propaganda. That's uh, the name of the book. By the way, this is not the same Bernays that invented Bernays sauce. No, 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 no. It's okay, not. It's <laughs> that guy I like. Not even spelled the same. <laughs> okay. So, so this is a quote from his book. And this, I think, is, is the underlying mindset of marketing, advertising, and public relations today. He said, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, 
Is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowledge about it? Hmm. The recent practice of propaganda has proved that it is possible. Okay, so so now now you think about some of the advertising that you see today. Uh, and I talked to a, a former graduate student uh, who also went on to get an MBA, and he he wanted to go into marketing and advertising, but he changed his mind about halfway through his program because he said he didn't want to sell his soul, yeah. <laughs> you know, to the devil. Right. And I asked him about that, and he said that there's a type of marketing now, and I don't know a whole lot about this, but it's called means end, uh, you know, marketing. And what it means is that uh, that the the goal or the effort is to drill down into you know a person or a group of people uh, as to what matters most to them. Hmm. What what is it that they value the most? Yeah, and then it's to connect the product that you want to sell to that, to that need. That to, right, right. So that whatever identity. it is, whether it's relationships, family, right. sex, you know, all kinds of things. Um, and you think about this now, and I see this all the time. I see uh, at commercials on TV, in magazines, uh, heard on the radio, and uh, like like a car commercial, for example. It used to be, and I remember the days when you listened to a car commercial or saw a car commercial, and it was all about the attributes of that car. Hmm. Now you can watch a car commercial, and not a single thing is said about the direct attributes of the car. Right. It's all about, it's about that feeling, like. Yeah, it's all about the, you know, if you love your family, you'll have this car. Right. Or if you want to impress your neighbors, you'll have this car, you know, so or, or, or whatever. And this is done with food now, too. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I talked to a woman not, not too long ago, a mother. She told me that all she could get her eight-year-old to eat was uh, chicken nuggets. Yeah. And and she acted, you know, and sometimes they're in the, actually the shape of dinosaurs, which was always confusing. Dino nuggets. To, yeah. Those are those – are, Incredible. Yeah, yeah. And so, but she was concerned. You know, she she acted like if she didn't give her son what he wanted, he would starve to death, right? Um, you know, and and so then you might ask yourself, well, what's in a chicken nugget anyway? And uh, so I looked at some of the ingredients on the list, and so in a chicken nugget, depending on which brand you're looking at, there's more than thirty different ingredients <laughs> in a chicken nugget, many of which I couldn't even pronounce. And more the nugget than the chicken. Yeah. So, so, so think about this too when it comes to this idea of you know, thinking a little more about what you're eating. Um, recent data have shown that uh, the food and beverage industry, that their marketing budget annually is $7 billion. Holy cow. Marketing. Okay. Marketing. Just to mar- marketing food and beverages, $7 billion. If you combine that with restaurant marketing, uh, the total is over $11 billion. Now, who spends $7 billion marketing a product? Well, a company that makes $100 billion. Who's making right. $100 billion, Exactly. Right? Because $7 billion is a drop in the bucket. Totally. Now, now think about the national five-a-day program. And for those people who don't know what that is, because you may not have ever heard of it, because their marketing budget <laughs> isn't that much. Right. It's an effort to get people to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. There are uh, state initiatives for that, as well as a national uh, initiative for that. Uh, the fruit and vegetable campaign was allotted $4.8 million. Oh. Now, you compare $4.8 million yeah. to $7 billion, That's and why... what is going to be in your head? Right. So, so the idea here, I guess, you know, because you want, you want to know, well, okay, so what do I do about all this? Um, well, th- 
Think about this. You can never eat or drink enough of what you don't need because what you don't need can never satisfy you. Okay? It's true. So it's just a thought. It's just, you, a, it's just kind of it a party. It won't satiate. That's a, a crazy party good. But, yeah. but, but how effective is this marketing? From 1977 to 2002, savory snack consumption in children increased 320%. Pizza consumption increased 413%. Candy consumption increased 180%. And vegetable consumption decreased 42%. <sighs> okay, when was the last time you saw an amazing advertisement or commercial for a vegetable. Oh, yeah, no. A, a whole vegetable. The only time you ever see it is when it's processed chip. by a company yeah. and put yeah. in a box mixed with other things, right. and it's processed in some way, and then it's sold to you because you, there, there's, there's no money really That's... In, 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 whole, in whole foods. <laughs> oh, so you said that, again, Ron, you make a great point. We got to buyer beware. We got to figure out and we, we got to – we just got to take our lives back and that's why I love having you on. Um, OK. So basic point. Use common sense. Common sense. Use common sense. And, and if, it, if it doesn't make sense, a red flag should go up and you should ask some questions because I'm telling you the food and beverage industry – they may say that they're concerned about your health, but they have absolutely no concern right. for your health at all. Otherwise, they would not be hiding all this data. All this data. Great, great point. Dr. Ron Hager again, Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences at BYU. Thanks so much. We will take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Milk and cereal, 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 milk and cereal, cereal and milk, 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 cereal and milk. One of my favorite songs, cereal and milk. Today we're talking cereal, and uh, who better to help us on that one than our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation? Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Ja. Ja, how you doing? It's good. Do you guys are you guys cereal boys? I eat cereal when I'm home for breakfast. Do you really? Yeah. How about you, Spencer? Okay. I, I am a nighttime cereal consumer. Okay. It's which, a quick fix. It's which good. is which if you had to pick a brand of cereal, we have the top ranked cereals based on 570,000 votes. Okay. So brand as in What are your favorite your favorite uh, cereal name brand cereal? So you're asking oh. for us to mm-hmm. guess the rankings? No, just all I want you to do is give me yours and then I will tell you where it's ranked. Mm. Cinnamon Toast <gasps> Cinnamon Toast Crunch is ranked number 3 on the list of most favorite cereals. I feel like we're on Family Feud. Mhm. Anybody can anybody how about you Spencer what's yours? Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms ain't so lucky. 14th on the list. 14th? 14th? 14th. Come on. I, I have thrown out all credibility to this poll then. Now, think of who are old... They, who are they polling? Uh, they're, they're, apparently, some of these... Japan? They're, they're polling people that have been eating cereal for a very, very long time. Oh, okay. So Cheerios would be number Cheerios one. Cheerios and, and Frosted Flakes. Okay, and... so Frosted Flakes is number two. Yes. Yeah. Number three, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Number four, Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah, see. The, I ate apple cinnamon Cheerios. Are we pull, we need to pull finish. millennials, not I know, traditionalists. I know. See, that's the problem. They keep polling these old timers like me. Captain Crunch, by the way, f- number five. 
Yeah, Captain Crunch is a Captain staple. Captain Crunch. I need like a I need like a mouthpiece exactly. on top of my mouth and look. <laughs> ah! There's always this film on my mouth after I ate Captain Crunch, so I can feel the sugar just eating away the. Uh, the, actually, the, my teeth. I, I think the film are your white blood cells trying to yeah. close up your wounds. Maybe so. Uh, Wheaties. One. Wheaties, what number six. It? Concentrate. Wheaties? I don't even know what concentrate is. Number What's seven. Concentrate. I have no idea. I have no idea. Here's number one. You will not believe it. And I'm not saying this with a lisp. Number one. Number one is quisp. Say what? Quisp. It does a body good. This pull- Again, who, who are they pulling? This is malarkey. <laughs> That's about to say. <laughs> Japan? Quisp? Uh, Quisp. 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 Cereal? I know. I don't what get it. What is this? It's Quisp. Um, There's uh, no way this is one. It is. It, qu- There's no way. Quisp. 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 I'm looking quisp. at this. I've never even seen it in my yeah. life. Yeah. You need You need to look at So you're always looking. It's Quispity Quantity Peanut Buttery. <laughs> Come on. It's, um, Why am I so fired up about that? I don't know, but it, it, see, for <laughs> I love that line. We're going to have to catch that line. Um, uh, Count Chocula, which I know you guys are big fans of, 17th. I'm surprised that's still a thing. Yeah. I mean, when we were younger, this is like 20 years ago. Mm. Like, Whoa, this is awesome. And they had the variations of... Yeah, this is chocolatey, this is fruity. Peanut, bu- this. peanut butter, Captain Crunch, right behind Lucky Charms. Yeah, Quisp, number one. Mm. Does the body good. Yeah, Quisp, Quisp, yes, dude. <laughs> okay, not to get you too riled up. Um, I know you guys got a great show. What's What's on your show today? Today's an exciting day. We actually break out something brand new <gasps> that we've never done on the show today. Quisp? Uh, something like that. Okay, yeah. what? What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kate, nope. Kate Hansen. Yeah. Uh, who was in the Olympics in 2012 for the Luge. She's a BYU student. She's uh, done broadcasting. She's done uh, L.A. Dodgers uh, emceeing, you know, in in Dodger Stadium there. Wow, cool. Um, She is a part of our staff. And today she's uh, breaking out a brand-new segment called Between the Lines, talking about some of the uh, memories from BYU fans that she gathered from social media. It's very cool. We're going to break that out. That's great. See? You're groundbreaking. Not every, it's going to be a quispy kind of uh, segment. <laughs> Not every daily college sports-centric show on Sirius XM and BYU TV has an Olympian. We have an Olympian. No, that's such a good point. Are such we scared she's point. going to replace us? Maybe. Totally. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else on the show? Blaine uh, Fowler, da- uh, David Nixon will join us to weigh in on uh, today's discussion, which is... BYU's one and three, and now what? Yeah, one of those guys won a national championship at BYU. The other played four seasons in the NFL, so I think they have mm-hmm. uh, some valuable opinions. I think they know they'll punch us in the face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Also, they both eat Quisp. <laughs> they, they've Quisp over their way to success. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. Good point. We, we, we've developed this where, where I said, what if you just said, yep, <laughs> so people aren't sure if you're saying no or, yeah, yeah, or yep. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Let's hear it. So, so do yep. you guys like Quisp? I don't even know what it is. Nope. Nope. Yeah, see? So so uh, Spencer nope. doesn't know, and uh, Jerem totally does. Nah. Do, do you nope it or nyep it? Nyep. I, I uh nope. it. What I do. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you some of my crisp. It's. Uh, hey, you're welcome to crisp it anytime. Crisp is so great, you can take your teeth out and eat it. <laughs> Here's my grandma. <laughs> Crispy Queen. Jeremy, I'm so proud of you. And you, I love me some oh, Quisp. I love the Lucky Charms. <laughs> They're massively delicious. 
Okay, guys, have a great show. I got to let you go to go uh, wax on, wax off. Good Thanks, luck, Matthew. gentlemen. Knock them dead. Bye. They, uh, <laughs> they had never heard of Quisp. <laughs> that is so funny. I mean, if you like yourself some Quisp in the morning, you're offended. But then there's those that are like, what is Quisp? I love Quispy Queen. I think that's different. So the people that are going online and buying Quisp, mm-hmm. are these boxes of cereal that have been manufactured in 1970? Yeah. Outdated. Yeah. I think it was from the war. They were trying to save cereal from World War II, and they just have now released it. They can also double as mothballs. <laughs> I'm sure it's a very wonderful cereal. Just to be number one, quite surprising. Hey, we wanted to uh, also update you on a, <laughs> a Florida man arrested after using a wanted poster as his Facebook photo. little advice for you. I probably ought not do that. A Florida man was arrested after he used, he used his own wanted poster as his Facebook profile picture. Mac Yearwood's... Uh, Facebook picture featured his Wanted of the Week poster after he was arrested on August 30th. According to Palm Beach Post, Stewart police uh, um, used the photo to identify Yearwood as a suspect in a reported disturbance, and he was arrested on an outstanding warrant. Police located Yearwood on Tuesday, and a bag of drugs fell from his pants as he was being apprehended. Just a little uh, help as we'd like to coach the con on the show. Um, you know, you got to tuck your drugs away carefully so when you're fricked, they don't fall out on the floor. It's a big point. And I wouldn't use the wanted poster as your Facebook picture. You wouldn't? Nah. I'd probably grow a beard, dye my hair. Bada boom, bada bing. So you'd Richard Kimball it from Richard, the future. I would, fugitive. I would Richard Kimball it. Exactly. As you know, we always like to end with a hero story. The hero of the day uh, is a nurse who returns to work at the hospital she was treated um, in as a child with cancer. Little girl who beat cancer twice in her young life is now all grown up. She's returned to the same hospital where she was treated, this time as a nurse, to bring the care to others. At 17 months old, Amelia Ballard contracted 106-degree fever and was referred to Scottish Rite Children's Hospital, now called Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. She was quickly diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia. Her 27-month treatment was thought to be successful, but she relapsed soon after that. The cancer uh, then became more aggressive. She had to have more treatment, more intense chemotherapy as a child, which she survived and eventually made it through all of that, even though her survival was so low. And in June of 1997, Amelia went on, received a stem cell transplant from her brother and uh, ended up beating cancer. So long story short, she being in the hospital system so as long as she did, decided to become a nurse. Ballard graduated from Georgia Southern University's nursing program and returned to the healthcare of Atlanta uh, uh, Hospital as Amelia Ballard, RN, BSN. And this is her quote. Cancer has been a journey filled with joy, pain, battles, and triumphs. Along my journey, I have lost many dear friends, but I am forever grateful for the journey and many blessings that have resulted from it. I am so excited to pay it forward and provide each of my patients and their families with the care and the compassion shown to me and my family during our experience. So there you have it. She's the hero of the day, Amelia Ballard. Thank you so much for showing us how to care, how to love, 
Folks, that's what heroes are made of, and that's why we do the show, because in the end, you are all our heroes. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until tomorrow, let's make it a great one and look after each other.